All right, fuck it. We'll do a show then. Yeah, sounds like a good uh, idea. I, I started it with an F-bomb, by the way. Ooh, buddy. If my wife ever listens, boy, will she be upset if she chooses this one first. I don't, I don't think she'll care. So I did, I'm trying to th- I was trying to run a count of how many podcasts my wife hasn't listened to me doing. I started with the Ian Bag show for You like, guys did what 500 of those things? Like <laughs> then like a dad two dad shows and then just this one with you. So yes, yeah, I'm well over a thousand shows my wife is zero. Which is funny because when we first started dating, I was doing comedy a lot at the comedy store and she would come all every night like with love comedy. And say the minute we got married like it was like, "All right, we're we're good." I'm, I'm like that part of it. Really? I mean, we, she, all, we no. also have kids and she has a life. Yeah, but she also comes when you do like bigger shows, she comes and supports. I she do. brings I friends. Do bigger shows. When you used to do bigger shows and you were married, she would come and support. You know what I mean? And I was married. Jesus Christ! At the same time, do you understand what I'm fucking you, saying? I, no, I'm, I'm teaching you what it's like when you talk to kids and they correct every single word. I don't give a, a fuck word. what it's like to talk to kids. Jesus. Uh oh, looks like someone's not having any children anytime soon, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, there's a good idea. <laughs> You're gonna have them on accident though. All right, welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. All right. You're angry, John Huck. No, you're just you're doing that bullshit where you. That's just what like, kids do to you. I, again, they question I, this every is word. In a, we're in a room with all adults. Why the yeah. fuck are we talking about what kids sound Maybe like? Because that's what my life is like, John. All right, we'll save it for your life then. No. This is the podcast. No. This is fake life. Uh, is it, oh really? Okay. Well, 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 blow the secret. No. Uh, got a haircut, dude. Oh, feels so good. Feels so good. Do you not normally get haircuts? Is your no? I just. I know you talk about your fragile hair, like it doesn't grow or something. I just or? wrapped. Uh, they I had they had me keep my hair long for my death co, uh, that web series I was doing. We just wrapped uh, episode six, the whole okay. the first season, and uh-huh. they they asked me. They tried to get it. They were trying to shoot the whole thing out before the end of the last year. So in like July, August, they were like, "Hey, we want to shoot this in a couple months, so don't cut your hair because it needs to match." episode four which was the first episode we shot so i didn't cut my hair and then i went all through thanksgiving and through christmas and my hair just got longer and then we finally got to episodes five and six literally these last two weekends and we wrapped on sunday and i wanted my the girl who usually cuts my hair wasn't in on monday otherwise i would have gone like monday morning 9 a.m so i went today but I just, it feels so good. There was so much hair on the floor. I don't think I've had that much hair cut off me since uh, I got rid of my original mullet. I do think it's interesting that uh, you're showcasing it because you normally wear a baseball hat almost all the time, and I think you're excited about your new haircut because the reason I I had to wear a baseball hat literally for the last eight months is because of the hair. It it was so long that I can't. I do wear a hat a lot, but not on stage. I've had to wear one on stage. I've had to wear one at Thanksgiving dinner. I had to wear one, you know what I mean? Just because you hated your. It was just, it looked so shitty, man. It was just, it was so long. My wife hated perm. it. <laughs> you should have gotten a perm. You know, you know the Bob Ross story behind that, right? That when he got out of the army, he couldn't really afford haircuts, so he got a perm, and that's why he had that tight afro. So he didn't have an. And when when they when he was like, "Well, I'm going to cut this now. I have money to to make a to get a haircut." They were like the produ- the producers of the show were like, "Yeah, this but we've already you. started marketing product with your big afro on it, and that's." You know what people He never liked that haircut That's hilarious To be stuck Imagine being trapped with that Because that was big that's, It wasn't like a little bit Oh no that was big But that's kind of what Like I accidentally shot This episode four Of this web series Without thinking And I had longer hair Then we went back And shot one After I'd already got a haircut And they're like We need your hair long For five I was like I wasn't thinking When I did it Otherwise I would have just said We're keeping my hair The same length The whole time like, You and Bob Ross Tragedy That's well I mean Bob Ross. What uh, is a hair tragedy? Did I ever tell you the story about when I used to when I lived over in Culver City? There was one of those um, 
places where they train you to be a barber and train you to be a hairstylist. And I would just go to it because I, I was like poor and I, I was like, I want to go there. And I went. And the guy started cutting my hair really bad halfway through, and I could tell he was scared. Yeah, and you I could got, see his face in the mirror. You're like, uh-oh. so I got really upset halfway through, and I was like, stop, just stop. And I cut the haircut off halfway through. Ooh, and then you had so to go half of my head was still long. Another one, and I, I was like, but this is who I was trained as from my parents. I got mad. I said, that's enough. I paid, and then I tipped him, and I left. And I was like, why did I just tip, tip a guy <laughs> that I stormed out with a half hour? And I went home and got, because of my hair's, like, the curls. I just, I just shaved it. I, I literally just went home and bought some sheep shearers and just sheared the rest of my head. But, yeah, I, it was the only time. That was the last time I ever went and got a... And I should have known better. It's like, that's like asking... My kids to cut my hair. What do you, what do <laughs> right. I think what do you, was going to yeah, happen? Yeah, that's a guy who's never. Yeah, yeah. Hey, person who has no skill. But can you? those people need to practice. So that's nice that you. They were... do, and I always thought, and this I'm going to sound stupid, but I thought they practiced on dead bodies. I had heard that. <laughs> I had heard that you when can I was get going a up. Fucking wig, man. You know, <laughs> dead bodies. That's, that's what you never heard that. No. Oh, what do you? Well, I'm donating my body when I die. I'm donating it to the. Uh, you know, Floyd's barber shop. That's what I thought. I don't know. <laughs> All right. At least dude. I admitted it out loud. Uh I'm before I'm gonna bring in our guest. Yeah, you should. Uh but legend. Guys, if you're listening, <laughs> go online and watch my death co uh, at mydeathco.com, please. It's a web series I did. <laughs> First off, never and, say please. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be polite. But I really uh, uh, something I'm actually proud of and I think that we're we we have something here. So I'm hoping that we can uh, make this something more than a web series. But uh, your support would be greatly appreciated on that. All right. Sorry. That was it. I'm plugging myself. Uh, our guest today, um, I've I've known who this guy was before I met him. Does that make sense? Like I've, I've uh, yeah. You know, there's like there's like a few people that that I've that I've uh, that I've gotten to know since I started doing comedy in Los Angeles, and they are some of them are people that like have been, you know, they've been at it for a while, and that and I I know who they are, so like. When you get to know them, it's even it's just a little bit strange. But uh, our guest today is actor, which is the was probably the first time I saw him was acting, uh, stand up comedian, and a- adding to his resume now, magician, Jimmy Schubert. Hey, good. Hey, what's up? Man? <laughs> Look right on magician. Cue. Yeah, well, I've been doing it <clears throat> since I'm nine, so it was just one of these things. It was always in the background, and uh, you know, it's a kind of like a, I was a hardcore hobbyist and something I always kind of dabbled in, and then. Uh, about five, six years ago, I went through this like midlife magic crisis. <laughs> where, uh, I just started getting back into it, and it was something that I came up with to keep me sane on the road. Like, you know, you spend eight hours in a hotel room, and I was like, I sit back, I don't want to watch, sit down, just lay there and watch TV. I wanted to work on something. I want to keep my brain active. I want to keep my fingers active, and I wanted to, <clears throat> you know, um, challenge myself on levels. And magic does challenge me on levels that stand up does not, although they're in the same kind of field of uh, entertaining people it's just it's just a it just challenged me so i like doing that and i'm always you know messing around with it and so uh i wanted to put my money where my mouth is up i thought i was good enough that i could audition for the magic castle and become a magician member and uh which is the premier organization uh, in yeah. the world yeah it's got over 2500 magician members from 11 countries in the world and it's, these are guys like top shelf magicians that are like amazing and, and and become a member of the magic castle it's such a cool establishment it's been there since 1963 it's 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 uh 
you know, it's just a cool night out. Yeah. And and I'll go up there. I go up there for different reasons. Now on nights where I'm not working in town, I'll go up to Magic Castle and hang out with magicians and learn some stuff. And they have lectures and they have stuff to make you a better magician. So it was just something cool. And, and at some point, I think I'm going to cross the streams and eventually that may work that- its way into my show that I do at, at clubs because you could do like, you know, like 40 minutes of stand up and then come back and try something different and, do, and just blow their minds. I think that would really kind of give you an uh you know, like an edge, that, like, I mean, something that would make, um, you know, your show even more memorable. You yeah, know? it's like it, it's uh, it's like a baseball player who only plays first base is now all of a sudden going to decide that he wants to learn to play other infield positions very well. It's like you're adding something to your already uh, pretty solid repertoire. Like, you know, you've been doing stand-up for a long time, so when you say uh, magic challenges in a way stand-up doesn't, do, is that, do you think that's because stand-up has become not... Not that you you go through the motions, but that that it's something that you're so used to, and that you're so kind of you've made your life doing it. You're so, it's so regular to you that yeah, it's like it's like it's funny because it's like yeah, you're right, exactly. But I, I mean, I I can come up with something during the day and work on it a little bit for a couple hours, and then go do it that night because yeah. I understand what I am. And it, yeah, so you know, you you found your voice. Yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. That, so the you know the the mo- the majority of the majority of the work's over. Yeah. You still have to write and create and constantly do it. Sure. Like every six months I write another 20, 20, 25 minutes of material. So I, I, I'm always doing that. But stand-up is, uh, magic is like from scratch. You gotta like, I, I've gotta demote it. My, not that I want to take myself from national touring headliner to doing <laughs> to Little Bunny Har, which is bar mitzvah. <laughs> right. Hey, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's, uh, but it's certainly, um, Something that uh, I'm interested in, and just uh, you know, I, I think in magic, which I love about magic, is they actually have respect for the guys who've been doing it for a long time. They have this like kind of and stand up. They look at you like, ah, you're, you've get out of the way. Well, yeah. I was going to ask Come you, on, pops. Well, there's two things we learned from a previous guest that there is no other place like the Magic Castle in the whole world. Yeah, like, we had Rob, we it. had Rob Zabrecki on. Uh, oh well, Rob, Z- yeah, yeah, Rob Zabrecki is like a, a, a monster over there. I've, I've attended. Now there's a cl- place called the Magic Apple in Studio City, and they do lectures there oh, as well. Cool. And like if I'm around, like I, like on a, if I'm around Monday and Tuesday, obviously is my weekend, and so like those are my nights to do whatever I want, and I don't have to run out to the comedy clubs, and yeah, and so I'll go. Check out a Rob Zabrecki lecture, which I've seen him do, and 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 he's a mainstay over there. People like Rob and and a bunch of people. So it's kind of a cool to be able to kind of work in both worlds, or kind of you know, yeah, seems to go. It's, it's kind of cool, and, and and plus I'm a member. I can go there anytime that's, I want. That's that's cool and, that you and, just and hang plus out I have there. Friends that come in from out of town. What can we do this year? Let's go to the Magic Castle. Oh, and plus, fuck yeah! You know, uh, you know. Uh, you know, other it's a great a networking tool because people go up there and have a blast. They go, "Oh, that was so great!" You know, that's such a fun night. I used to I used to be in the school of sort of mocking magic a little bit, just yeah. like you know, because I worked on a hidden camera show with some magicians and they were very persnickety, and I was like, "Okay, dorks." But then I went to the Magic Castle. It took one night, and I was like, "Oh, never mind." And I basically. Kind of ate yeah, all my they work words. Just as hard as stand-up comedians do, and they're and sometimes they're, and they're, harder. I hey, mean, I got to tell you something, bro. You thank, thank you, lucky stars. You're a stand-up comedian. You get to show up, find a microphone. Yeah. Magicians have cases of stuff they have to yeah. travel props with, and set up, and, yeah. props and doves, and, and all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, the, the, I mean, you know, uh, that's the first thing you learn is don't work with live animals. If you don't, <laughs> well, you know, that's part of the thing. It's like you know, it's like I do close-up magic, which is cool, but you know, how do you take a close-up to the stage? And so that was the lecture the other night. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So, of all the decades you've been doing stand-up, and now you're doing 
magic. It's one thing that stands out to me, and, and, and the reason why I ask about you know your your previous the, the the decades in stand up, and if ever was this way. The support group seems different in Magic. Like you're saying these guys, we're, we're helping each other, and there's there's seminars and lectures. And it's funny that we as comedians are loners, and we scoff at if anybody was, oh, come on over, let's all get together. And I, and I, as a successful person, will share knowledge and will interact. And a lot of people scoff at that kind of stuff. They scoff at the successful person willing to share. Do you see well, I think, is that? I, I think, uh, what's your take on that? I think as an artist, you have to be a good ambassador to that art form. And I, and I think the only way the art form lives on if you share the stuff that you learned over the years with other people that are coming up. And some people appreciate that. Other people don't. I mean, I've, you know, some of the funniest lines of my act have been like a tagline that a guy gave me. He goes, you don't mind, you should try, you should try this line. So, yeah, th it exists in stand-up. But it's not as prevalent. Like in magic, it's a whole. I mean, like, and I was thinking about that the other night. It was like, wouldn't that be interesting if the if if comedians did that? Because I thought it was such a great lecture and so cool. And it was like a two and a half hour lecture. This guy telling you how to be a better magician, how to how you go from close up to a stage performer, I, and that, which was which is my thing because if I'm going to do an amount, you can't do close up in a in a, in a in a comedy club, but you could close your show with a couple of tricks that were really presented well. And so, and so it, that that's kind of cool. But yeah, uh, it depends. I mean, I've always like you know, I've always been a. I know how tough it is to make a living as a stand-up comedian, so I always feel obligated to go out of my way to either uh, offer encouragement to a guy who's coming up who I think is talented, but also send an email or make a phone call on their behalf to a club owner that I have a great relationship with if I think they're able to do the job. I mean, I'm certainly not going to just recommend no, anybody. No, right. Yeah, you you, it's got to be, be somebody you and respect. And, and, and more than that, I, I mean, it's like, you know, if, if a guy's going to go there and, and, and not, you know, or, you know, run up a $300 bar tab and try to fuck the waitress. Right, and then, dude, yeah. And then fucking wipe his ass and leave a fucking turd in the fucking toilet in the condo. condo the yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it's just a... So, uh, but yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of... You're right. Stand-ups, stand-ups are weird. They're, they're sarcastic, but I, the, I think it would be so much better if they if they kind of approached it like that. Did you have That's, any mentors growing up? Yeah, of course I did. I, I I wound up touring with the late Sam Kinison for a number of years, probably five years. I opened and toured with him before he uh, passed away. But uh, always at the comedy store, there was guys like I could talk to. I remember I was sitting there working a door at the in the main room of the comedy store, and you would watch like a guy like Shanley would go up, and then oh. I would go backstage. And he had this one joke about his glasses were so thick. And he was trying stuff out. And I said, hey, what's this? I said, my glasses are so thick. When I walked down the street, cars hit their high beams at me. And he goes, oh, that's great. He goes, oh, that's great. He goes, can I, he goes, can I? I go, yeah, man, I, I thought of it when you said it. And so we sat there, and I got to, like, interview him for, like, 15 minutes ago. So I said, you know, you did this joke the other night about, you know, Mrs. Haley is my neighbor, and once every 75 years she walks to her living room naked, so I got a telescope. Or Mrs. Haley, like, Haley's <laughs> telescope. It was when Haley's, so it was, like, one of those shandling things. But he was, like, uh, but, you know, you get to watch those guys and me are doormen so to yeah. me like the comedy store was like my college but you got to watch Arsenio Hall and Andrew Dice Clay and Howie Mandel and Carlin came in and Richard Pryor came in and so you would just sit in the back and watch with all and you could learn as much watching a great stand-up comedian as you could watch in a shitty one of yeah. like what not to do and then you know guys like Paul Mooney where you're sitting out on the front porch at the back he goes oh, oh uh he goes a stand-up he goes uh, moves 
He goes, your stand-up should be slow. He goes, you should have a pacing on your stand-up that's a little slower because TV moves fast. Stand-up should be like a movie. It should move a little slower. But, uh, you know, guys said things like always work to the top of your intelligence. And little pieces of nuggets along the way that were like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense, you know. Yeah. The guy said something to me, stand-up comedy is one of those art forms you have to disrespect before you can respect it. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> Jesus, what the hell does that mean? And it was like three years. And I, th- I think what he meant was you can't, that you have to go up and express your own sense. You have to go up and do something because you thought it was funny. You can't write shit. Oh, they'll think this is funny. Oh, the audience will think this is You can't write like that. You can't do that. I, yeah, so, I feel the same way about, I think music is similar. Like you can't write music that, that you're trying to, that you think other people are going to enjoy. Like if you're not writing music that you like, if you're not writing comedy that makes you laugh or that makes your friends laugh, it's going to come across as uh, not genuine. It's well, yeah, but, you know, it's got to be, like you said, it's got to be authentic. And I think, what, like, you know, finding your voice is essential. It's, that's the key. You have to do it so much every night. I mean, I remember when I first came out here, <clears throat> you could do, five, like, five sets on a Monday night. Good God. Yeah, you would go over to Natural Fudge at, like, 7.30. You get on there quick. Then you'd run over to the Alley Cat Bistro in Westwood. And that was a Monty Steakhouse. It was on the top floor, and you do that. In fact, that's the first night me and my buddy uh, Marty Levenstein, it was Noodles Levenstein, we drove Paulie to his first, Paulie Shore to his first stand-up gig, which was at Monty Steakhouse. <laughs> when is this? <laughs> uh, about when did you move out here? 86. 86, okay. 86, 87. Okay. And so... Um, had you done stand-up before you moved out yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, I did it for two years. And I started doing magic when I was nine. When I was, when I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, I was a professional magician. I was doing like six You were getting you were yeah, working. I was paid. I was doing. I was doing. I would go down to St. Christopher's Hospital in Philadelphia, and I would do shows for the sick kids that were that you could actually interact with. Some kids were in the ICU, but for me, it was a way to go entertain kids and do something cool. We did a lot of, uh, you know, all senior citizens home, old age yeah. home. So you get your chops doing that kind of stuff. And there was a woman that uh, ran the South Heston Star Showcase. She was this large Jewish woman who smoked these long Capri cigarettes. <laughs> it was like, is your tape all queued up, darling? She was like the Broadway Danny Rose. Of Northeast Philadelphia, <laughs> and so she would like book, book a CDs, and we would wind up doing these shows. And then from those shows, I would get paid gigs. People go, "Oh, we would love to have yeah. you on the shows." And so, so that was, and I was literally, I mean, you know, my my old man was a Philly detective, you know, what I mean, and Ooh. you know, and he, you know, he had his nine millimeter strap. Uh, that strap, sounds pretty hardcore. So when, like, you know, I would do St. Christopher's Hospital, and then all the African American nurses would have you, "Oh, you need to come to our church in West Philadelphia," which was fucking hardcore, you know. That, my my old man. He, my old man was like a, a the day I had to drive. He was nine millimeter. I'm in this oversized. Yeah, <laughs> protection. Yeah, <laughs> you had a bodyguard. I had a, a couple doves in a shoebox, and we're driving <laughs> to the gig and and stuff. And uh, did so you yeah. work with live animals? Yeah, I had doves. You did. You really did. Did you, and you had to keep those at home? Like you yeah, I kept them at home. I, you know, <laughs> but I also, you know, I had, like, you know, there's five brothers. There was six boys in my house. Jesus so Christ. My brother Bobby played drums. My brother Joe played guitar on Monday nights. We would drop those guys off to music lessons, and my mom would take me down the street, which was about, like, two miles down. It was the Castor Avenue Magic Shop in Philadelphia, and so I would go in, and I was allowed to buy one trick a week, and I had to, like, get really good at that trick, and then the following week I could go back and buy one. And then, I, you know, I took a couple lessons and stuff, and I used to hang out at the Magic Shops and, and stuff like that and so for, you know like in Steve Martin's book Born Standing Up yeah you know great he talks book. about that it's uh it's the great um it's the poor man's way in the show business yeah. you know what I mean I mean you, you take 15 bucks you go get the acrobatic silks and you'll be able to entertain people and it started with a magic kit that I got for Christmas I have questions yeah um one question is are your parents saints did you say yeah, guitars say drum that, kits doves and yeah, magic yeah, shows they sound really supportive they 
they, I guess they just accepted. Like I'm the youngest of seven uh, of a Catholic family. They, my parents accepted chaos in the house, and that yeah. was that. But not only did they accept it, they embraced it. Because well, my mom, I mean, you would think like you know, like everybody was always welcome in my house. My mom was always open door. If, you know, like yeah. you know, my dad was old. My my old man was old, so. If guys got in the neighborhood, got in trouble. They would come to my dad. My dad would help them out. We had the the the, the newspaper in our garage. Like we would rent the garage out to like like the newspaper guys would get their papers there and go. Before that, so it was oh, like, wow. yeah, yeah, and we had this like corner little piece of property, so we were like, you know, and we were the Schubert boys. I Are mean, you the Irish Catholic? I was no, no, we're Jewish. Well, <laughs> no, Irish Catholic. <laughs> Same thing with my family. I always found it funny that the bigger the families, the more open door policy they had with the neighborhood, where like the smaller families were like, whoa, let's not yeah. mess the house up, but like. The big family's like, ah, more. Like, it's just, what's the more thing? You know, it's funny. Well, you know, it's, it's great because, you know, you're big enough in a big family, you really kind of find your identity early. I mean, it was like, you know, you were kind of in a, we were in competition. We played baseball, we played football. I mean, you know, we had to, I mean, believe me, I, you know, God bless my parents. And, you know, my dad was like, you know, my mom stayed at home until my my youngest brother, Tom, was like 12 or 13. And then she went back to school. She got a degree and she went she, back to work. Wow. And she, you know, she retired a couple of years ago, but she had worked in the Philadelphia school system. And, so, That's uh, crazy. So she, she she couldn't get enough of kids, so she wanted to go. She's like, now I'm going to be a <laughs> Well, she figured she, uh, you know, she understood the psychology yeah. Uh, yeah. a lot of kids so far. And she genuinely cared about people. That's I mean, awesome. my mom was a, you know, she was a, uh, she is a truly saintly woman, you know, she's so. So, uh, so it's one thing to get into magic, right? I'm just curious what the discussion was when you decided you needed birds. In the household, like, how did you convince well, your family I that? Because I was doing shows, I was making a living doing it. At that I, point, I, start, I started booking shows. So, did you buy your own birds? I had to buy my own everything. And what did yeah. you do with them? Do, do, I forgive well, my ignorance, the, the, but like parakeets the, live in the house in well, a cage. Well, they're pretty but, docile animals. They, okay. So they literally—it's not like a, it's not like an exotic, but like they literally like the the doves actually lay eggs and they sit on those eggs. They never hatch, right? But they, because you know it's just. But uh, so I would have the doves and which in your bedroom awesome. or what? Yeah, no, not in a bedroom in the base. And then you could just take care of them, like you could clip their wings, and you could actually, if you depending on the production you were doing, you could take food coloring because the bird was white, and you could like put make it red, white, and blue. You can make it green, you can make it yellow. So it looked like an exotic bird, but it was actually a dove. And like if you had a green silk and you produced a green dove for this, like right. that, you know, it, it, it added some production value to yeah. your show. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> but it's funny, and I think back about it. I mean, I literally. I've been entertaining people my like my whole life. As I, I mean, I've had day jobs in between, but I literally, literally uh, it's fascinating to me that you know, yeah. to to have made a living all this time doing something you love to do. I mean, uh, and the thing about magic, right? You have to practice it on somebody. So was your family always your first audience oh of all God, your new I tricks? Would torture my fucking <laughs> torture. I'd be up at two o'clock in the morning working a trick, and I'm like, well, listen, remember, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And he goes, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> you know? I but think you should was, go to fuck. Sleep. <laughs> you can go to fucking sleep, and you know we slapped like three to a room. You know we had a, a three to a room with bunk. So beds. they couldn't escape. Yeah, you. they couldn't escape. And my brother was a douchebag. He used to listen to talk radio. Like oh, I oh got, it would fucking drive me crazy on Sunday nights. We got to listen to Doctor Demento. Yes, oh, yeah, I mean, dude. Demento. But uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it, just different times, man. Just different times. I'm so glad that I grew up in an era where uh, there was no social media, there was no yeah. smartphones, there was none of that shit. And uh, you had to go out and do it. You had well, to go, you had to go out, out and do, do it. But I mean, all, all that's all those things, all those things led up to, you know, me eventually 
it like you know after doing stand up for a couple of years in Philly was like you know putting everything in my car and driving cross country and I literally I literally drove across country I bought these tapes called The Psychology of Winning by Dr. Dennis Waitley who talks about and, and I just listened to him over and over so when I hit Los Angeles it literally two weeks from the day I got here I started a job I moved into a place where I was running a room in a house and I auditioned for Mitzi at the comedy store like 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 that I didn't pass in fact I didn't get I, didn't, I, I actually started working I got a job as a doorman and it was about a year after Andy Kaufman's death and Tony Clifton was performing in the main room which is a character that Andy used, used to, do. to do yeah but he said had since uh, uh, let his buddy Bob, Bob Zamuda yeah. do it so Bob Zamuda had kind of taken over the character and so nobody knew that all these press people were there they thought oh Andy faked his own death this is how we know it's and it wasn't it was, and it was horrible I mean he flicked a lit cigarette at somebody he threw a drink on somebody I mean it was it was it was crazy but that was the Tony Clifton character he was that, a piece of shit no like, he's a piece of shit yeah. and I, I think Bob still does it to this day I yeah <laughs> He's done. They just like not even two years ago. They had something at the store. Yeah. So, um, um, how did you get into what, what? What was the transition from kind of like putting magic on the side to stand up? You know what I did? I, all the time I was doing magic. I mean, I when I was a kid, I loved Charlie Chaplin. But all the time I was doing magic, I could get one trick. But I also bought one joke book, and they were the old Robert Urban joke books. And so I would go through them at a little joke file. And my grandmother would set up these cases of Reader's Digest. You know, and you go through them, there's laughter's the best medicine. You cut yeah. that page out, and uh, humor in uniform. And, and, you know, so they had all these, like, stories. And I had a little joke file, and I started going, like, you know, I was a, I was a funny kid. I was always kind of cracking up and stuff. And so... Um, I mean, I realized you can get out of trouble if you were funny. Yep. And so that was a skill that I definitely <laughs> developed and because we were always getting in trouble. And uh, and so, uh, you know, it was just a matter of, like, I always had, like, the performance chops because of the magic, but I just I had to let my writing catch up. And that took a couple so, years to develop. So you that. would test the jokes while you're doing magic, and you go, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. And, so, and so basically you just, you know, hi, you know, hung up, retired the wand, and uh, <laughs> let the, the doves mic. go, let the doves go, and then uh, picked up the mic. Which know? in some respects is a more challenging and selfish decision because the one thing that um, we were talking about earlier, you know, magic – like you said, you can do it to a, a magic will woo a four year old and an eighty four year old. Where yeah. where comedy can lose a large portion of people depending on what you're talking about. So you don't get that overarching appreciation. Yeah. Once you just start going, it's just me yeah. and my jokes, and you know, a certain age group might go no. Yeah, and especially nowadays. I mean, you know, really kind of like walking a minefield. I mean, people out there just looking for reasons to get pissed off now yeah. that fake outrage over something you said. So you are Which, legitimately seeing that stuff. Well, you, you know, you yeah, go. yeah. Well, you, you know, people come up to you and say, you know, well, you shouldn't do. Jokes. I go, well, listen. Well, next time I sit down and write, maybe you can come over and, <laughs> and write these jokes. Yeah, or yeah, because <laughs> you know, I can't write comedy like that. And 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 furthermore, I think it's absolutely fucking disgusting that you think that I'm talking about you or your family specifically. <laughs> yeah, you egomaniac. You fucking. It's it's, it's narcissistic. Yeah. And I, and I and I think that you know the. I mean, you know. Um. You can't. You can't create like that. You can't. You no. Just, you can't. If you, you, you can't have boundaries. And, you know, an artist are you know artists are you know are are you're supposed to be able to. You should be able to do that and say something that that, that upsets people. Although it's kind of gotten to the point now, it's like it's like almost like it's like the Trump bashing is fucking like ridiculous. Like I mean, I I got to tell you, I don't do any politics in my act, and simply because I if people want to see that, you can stay home and watch it on any late night it's, television. It's everywhere. And it's, people it's, have come out of, of the fucking woodwork to like thank me for not 
fucking thank you for not bringing it up. I, I said, they said I stopped coming to comedy clubs because everything got so fucking stupid. And it's like, you know, and, and but you fucking did an hour, made us laugh hysterically and never brought it up. Uh, you know, it's yeah. I, I get two. T- I get two takes. I've heard a lot of people say like it's your job as a comedian to point out the, these atrocities or whatever that this. No, is. it's not. But that's it's your I, job is to make people laugh. fucking laugh. That's what I say. That's what your fucking job is. If you work, to make people fucking laugh. If you work all week and you work with dildos all week and you're every week you're just you're seeing the news and you're reading the paper and you're looking at the internet all week, all week, Friday, Saturday night when you go out to a comedy club. It's like seeing a movie. You want to forget that shit. You yes, want to be taken absolutely. away from that. You, you want to laugh be at able the absurdity. To, you, want to be able to tra- you want to get them out of their fucking lives and into the show. And for that 45 minutes, they're laughing so hard, they've forgotten about all their problems. Yeah. They've forgotten about all this shit. You've had a fucking, you had a theme to your show. You had a message to your show that was not, the, 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 you know. And in this day and age, I mean, I mean, people have gotten so fucking mean. I mean, just like, you know, I mean, the job, just being a stand-up comedy is tough enough. I mean, you got the rejection from the industry. Yeah. You also have rejection from audiences. <laughs> yeah, you're fucking fans. doing your shit if yeah. it doesn't And go. family sometimes. And family sometimes. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And what are you doing this? And you're wasting your life and all this shit. And then, now, because of social media, you have all these fucking other fucking Yeah, assholes. people you never would have talked to. I, I, I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't cross the street to piss on this guy. If he was, he was on, on fire. fire. I love he's that. Gonna weigh, he's going to weigh in on my fucking life. I mean, he said living in his parents' basement, rent-free. Yeah. Surfing his neighbor's wireless internet, yeah. fucking playing PlayStation, <laughs> Got an egg for Doritos, a and energy and, and drinking, washing down with energy drinks, and beating <laughs> off till his dick's orange. And he's gonna weigh in on my fucking life. You're gonna weigh in on my fucking life. I, I mean, and, and and you know, and and you know, our friend Brody Stevens who passed away. I mean, you know, he posted this thing on Monday with all these fucking negative comments from all these fucking. This guy's the worst comedian. He's not, like mean stuff. And, yeah. and then Don Barris reposted, which that's where I saw it. So like that Wednesday. Day, you know, I made it a point to go talk to Brody and say, let's don't pay attention to that shit. But it's tough. Yeah. You're a fucking human being at the end of the day. Yeah. There's human beings on the end of your fucking mean shit, your shitty Yelp reviews. You're a fucking loser. Yeah. You're a fucking loser if you're doing that shit. And some people do it because it makes them feel good. That's oh, yeah. all they got. I read a story that this woman uh, was was uh, got engaged to this guy, and she went over his house, and he kind of sat at his desk, and his computer was open, and she saw all this mean shit he wrote towards people on the internet. She goes, what are you fucking doing? He goes, I just, I don't know, it makes me feel good. He goes... She goes, you gotta stop doing that. She goes, if you don't stop doing that, she I'm goes, not I, I can't, I can't marry you. She goes, this is, uh, I and she caught him doing it again. She fucking brought, called up yeah. the engagement. I mean, Good what are you doing? But I mean, what kind of empty fucking life? I rather, yeah. I would rather go the other direction. I would rather go out of my way to be kind to fucking people in a world yeah. that is so. I mean, you you beat down for fucking eight hours by a fucking world insensate. You're fucking crawling fucking home to your life where there's more shit waiting for you. People have enough shit they gotta deal with. Then we'll worry about you. You know, you're gonna go out of your way and talk, call some guy a fucking. Dude, you have no idea who he is or what he does, yeah. or or, or the, the 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 guy maybe you know donates fucking you know time to fucking charity shows or raises money for different causes, and you're gonna you're gonna go out there and make a judgment call. You don't have any any idea who this person is. I miss the early days of the internet, where the only people that were on the internet that were in their basements were playing fucking guitars, and that was like it. They would just post videos of themselves, and we we would laugh. Yeah, I at could the, watch the, those videos all day, though. I'm, and that and then it, it, the it, it literally put down the guitar. 
and just started spreading, just spewing hate towards people for no reason. It's, I just wish they would just go back to fucking learning to play Eddie Van Halen guitar. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's, well, I, I read something, but you know the, the stockade where they would put your head and your hands yeah. in the stockade? Yeah. And they used to do that in, like, in the early days, and then people would come by and throw fruit at you, yeah. rocks <laughs> yeah. at you, and fucking yell shit at you because you know, you're in a stockade. I go, well, that's where the internet is. That's, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what the internet is. It's like yeah. a modern-day stockade where people, <laughs> people like, were running by whipping vegetables well, just all, all the outrage all the hate all the misinformation that comes from it I mean human beings we're not supposed to fucking be holding this machine with this where we can weigh in on everything it's no. not supposed to be that way no. we're not really that much further advanced than the fucking apes in the fucking jungle <laughs> yeah, I mean right. and you got this fucking digital fucking piece of equipment that they, they, they can track you with they, they can monitor you with you're gonna weigh in on, you take pictures of everything you eat you post everywhere you go I mean we're living in a kind of a digital panopticon now where like they don't even have to watch us anymore because we're watching each other and it's yeah. just everything you do is out there we've kind of been complicit in giving up all our own privacy and i was like i, I mean i'm almost and at some point you want to go stop yeah stop i actually did stop listen listen you the the fucking the the driverless uber car <laughs> is going to become the driverless pepsi truck which is going to become the driverless a fucking tugboat which is going to yeah. become a computer operated tugboat driver everything's going to become uh Run by computers. I, I, I think that artificial intelligence is already training us to work for it. I think it's it's going to take over. The machines get faster and shrink in size, and at some point, it's going to be like Transcendent Man. Just yeah. Put it right into your noggin. Watch, watch, watch the movie Wall-E over and over and over again, and you'll know where we're headed. No, I got, dude. I, I got off. I, I, um, I like so many people that are in entertainment. I'll try to. I'll post fun things just to entertain people. Like I don't care. Like if you don't like right. it, that's fine. Whatever. What I learned very quick and, and where I bailed, I started bailing on social media was that anytime you would ever say the words, I, if you were to stand outside and be like, I have a thought, <laughs> and it's like fucking strangers come out of the fucking bushes that you've never met in your entire life. Your thoughts And sucks. they're like, what is it? What's your thought? Because I'm just fucking waiting to get on you. And all of a sudden, I was like, who are you? Yeah. And if, it just felt gross. And so I'm like, you know what? Nah, I don't need this shit. Like, I, you know, you collect all these people. But yeah. what's the value of yeah, life short? You're make sure you spend a lot of hours on the internet arguing <laughs> with fucking total strangers yeah. that wouldn't fucking help you change your fucking no, tire. No, it makes no sense. But but going back to but going back to your 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 choice to do stand up. Do you remember the first time you went? You move like you're like I'm gonna just do stand up and, and where like where it was like was it in a club? Yeah, how it was old in, were you at yeah, the time? Yeah, it was a comedy or? comedy comedy works in Philly. How old were I, you when you I decided was like to 18. move? Eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Yeah, I just turned eighteen and I th I think maybe I was like seventeen, but I was using my I was seventeen because I used my brother's driver's license. You know, it was before the, the where the pictures on it was yeah. just that little piece, so I was able to go you, down and do the open mics. <laughs> and I did. It. I mean, because you had to be I think eighteen. And I I needed so I went down and signed up for it. And did so you it. your first night you went as your brother your brother. Actually, perform stand up comedy, <laughs> yeah. not you. Did you actually older, have to use your brother's older name? Older Schubert brother, yeah. I did actually because I used his driver's license, but then, <laughs> but then, uh, wait, like when I turned, yeah. But when I turned 18, you know, I it was just, I was just Schubert, Shuby Do was my okay, nickname, so right. Shuby Do was fine. It was like, you know, uh, okay, you know, I, and then I Maybe. I changed my name to Jimmy, it's my professional name. I was like, well, it's gonna be my professional name. So it's Jimmy So did you actually run on stage as your brother's name the first time? Yeah, or just to get on because I, I think I was like I was like seven I was like seventeen. Did your brother know that you took his ID? Yeah, yeah. I used oh, it all the yeah. time. Yeah, I used he to go to the penalty box in Jersey. I stole it from my brother and he got pissed <laughs> yeah. off when he finally found out that I had stole it. He was so mad. He was three years older than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So it's like um, 
you know, that was, uh, and it was Comedy Factory Outlet. It was fun. You get like five minutes and you just, and it was just a, this, this this whole cavalcade of like, I started with Keith Robinson, who I just ran into at the comedy store. Oh, wow. Yeah. So me and Keith were like doing like, and Keith was great because Keith had been doing it a little longer than me, but he was like, you know, he had kind of, Kind of took me. We did all these little gigs. John Barleycorns and Craig Shoemaker actually booked a couple rooms around Philly that we wound up doing. I ran into Dice Clay, who had done Making the Grade, but we went up to one of these like other. I picked him with the train station, drove him out there and stuff. So we did this whole little thing. But I, I was starting to. I, I mean, I committed to it. I was really going to give it. A, oh, okay. An effort, and so I was like, "This is what I want to do." And I knew that summer. I said, "I'm going to work and save all my." And I did. I literally. I literally on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would work a construction job. And the, the, they were putting an extension on this restaurant I was working in. So I told the guy, he goes, I'll come up and, and they had these 90 pound cinder blocks that you had to carry on this scaffolding for like, he had to be there at like six in the morning, just carrying these blocks. And I was, I was, I got fucking yoked that stuff. <laughs> then I was doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was working nights as a bartender and just putting all my money away. I had no social life. Did you have I short sleeves to show off your guns? Yeah, I had about, I had about 15, I, I made about $15,000 that I squirreled away and I actually had, that was my nest egg to come out to California. And you know what? And for 86, 87, that's, that's a, a lot of money. Of money. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a lot of money yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus. It was, yeah, but I mean, well, because I knew. I, I said I knew I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a I'm gonna need little money to live off of. I got to get an apartment. I'm going to need a down payment. I mean, I knew. I, I'd done a little reconnaissance. But why? I mean, New York's right uh, like a stone's throw well, away. Because uh, I knew if I went to New York, I'd have to start. I'd have to start and establish my Once I establish myself there, then I'd have to come out to Los Angeles and reestablish You knew myself. L.A. was but, an end yeah, game uh, for you anyway. Yeah, no, I knew L.A. was an end game for me. Look, I grew up in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is like a smaller New York. It's yeah. the same thing. There was plenty. Of, I just, I just wanted to get. I mean, I wanted to like a like a fresh start and really kind of commit to this. And it's all I gave a shit about. But I you mean, moved to LA for stand up as the long game or stand up for something else? I just no stand up as. The, but I also went to a creative and performing arts high school, so I had three drama classes a day. Okay. I knew that I was coming out here to. I was going to start, you know, being stand up. But I also didn't think that if I could audition and get the jobs in, in television and film, I thought okay. it was definitely an end game. I mean, I, I did a lot of research. I was looking. Like you know, if you get you know, you can get your insurance by doing uh, you know, you get if once you get in the union, the Screen Actors Guild, you can get your insurance, you get benefits, you get a pension plan. I mean, you're part of a fucking union, so it was something bigger than stand-up. So I, 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 not that I didn't grow up in the '80s because I did, but I do have a question: How did you in Philadelphia get? Because again, this is pre-internet. How how did you gain? How do you find all that information out? Well, you know, I talked to people. I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I used to, I, I used to go to the library all the time, yeah, and stuff like that. And, and you know, I, so, so whenever I do a magic trick, people, I, I mean, I used to spend time hours, kill hours in the library. And so when someone goes, "How'd you do that?" I would, I always write that. I was always, I always write the Dewey Decimal. It was seven nine three point eight, which was a Dewey Decimal code for where all the magic books were in the library. <laughs> I said, "You can follow that information. You can find everything you need to know there." Go, What's that? I go, "That's the Dewey Decimal system." For <laughs> library where all the magic books are you fucking asshole put in some fucking work you know but yeah and so you would find out and just you know um um and uh, it is a different way how you had to get information it you know you had to you had to actually be committed to getting information yeah no then. you really did you know and i was a big fan of encyclopedia brown and how he used to investigate <laughs> so i mean all those all those things like you know yeah i had to do <laughs> You had to do the work, man. You had to do the work, you know. And so I literally, I didn't know anybody out here. So when and you moved out here, you did not have, there wasn't an aunt or an uncle or a friend no, of a friend. No, there was fucking or... nobody. There was nobody. And what'd you, when you stored your parents, you're, you're hightailing it. Were you the first of the family to go that far away? Yeah. And what, what was fact, their take? I was back recently, and my mom goes, you just left when you were like 18. You never came back. 
<laughs> I go, well, mom, you should actually, that should be a, you know, you you trained me in life that I was able to take care of myself. I didn't need to come back. And do that because yeah. I, 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 I didn't need to do that. I mean, you should be happy about that, that, that I had such an amazing life leading up to that point that it prepared me for everything that I was getting ready to do. Yeah. And Are also, you the only one that ever left? Yeah. All my brothers still live back there. Okay. They're, all, they're all, I mean, I, that's like, I And that's look, okay, too. It's just, you know. It's, yeah, well, they were all married with kids and stuff. And, and, and to me, that's like, that. that's kind of one of my, they always talk about these unlived lives, that everybody has these unlived lives. Like, had you made a decision to like pursue magic and stay in Philadelphia. I mean, your life would have been completely different. There's this unlived life out there that that you kind of started, it didn't, and and I and that's why I kind of went and revisited it and kind of crossed a couple things off my bucket list that I wanted to do when I was like, you know, I still got this 13, 14 year old boy in my head telling me to fucking cross these things off my bucket list, yeah. and so you do it. I mean, I think it's it's. Uh, it's cool that you can do it. It's cool that you, you have the opportunities to still do it. And so, yeah, I, you know, live life to the fullest. You know? Yeah, so you, you, you get out to L.A., you you have a little bit of money, you get a job at the store. Well, I got a job in a mail at a, okay. a mail room at a law firm, Manette, Phelps, Rothenberg, Tunney, and Phelps. Jesus, was where was that? Where was that? So where, remember the where did you live, and where was that I located? Lived in, uh, I lived in... Uh, Culver City, and okay. my job was also in Culver City. Oh, and that felt that's where I moved. I moved to West LA, and right outside. And I was running a room in a house from this woman who was a member of Mensa. And she would have Mensa meetings, and and uh, <laughs> I was running a room in a house. And part of the fucking thing, I would walk and see all these Mensa people. Go, hey, walk right out. I'm gonna go write some count. fart jokes. Yeah, we're gonna go do some dick jokes. Could you, could you guys uh, figure out the uh, what the, the pie the pie is? Right, exactly. Pie alamode. I'm gonna have a piece of pie alamode. You guys cracked the good, but it was like it was. It was funny, and and so uh, yeah, that's where I was, and I, I I stayed at that house probably for like five or six months, and just and then I and it kind of um, once you figured out the area, yeah, that's what it was. I <laughs> yeah. knew it was going to take me six months to a year to figure out what the driving situation. Yeah, was. did you have the place before you got out there, or you got out there? No, you I did got the, out here got, and I to find a looking, paper or whatever. Looking, yeah, the first thing I did, I was on a man, I was a man on a mission. I was like, you know, go, go check this. I go making phone calls and doing all that stuff and figuring it out, and and so that was that became available. I go, yeah, this will be fun. I only bring that up because again, I think people, you know, it's easy to be disconnected from a time where. You are blind. You're not, you're not driving with a cell phone. You are blindly driving across country, and you're thinking to yourself, "All right, I'm going to get there." Probably with need a to get map up with a map that I had to read. Yeah, in front like of the window, shell it or misread or not know where you're going or highlighting yeah. <laughs> routes. Yeah, and and it, and it's a series of pay phones. And did you did you drive straight? You were just straight. So you went nuts. You you no, you. No, yeah. I just I, I wanted to get out of here. I want to get started. Because that's about. I mean, I, I look. I was I was a kid, but I was also a kid on a mission. I was very yeah. driven. I was a van. I was really. What'd you am, drive? Ambitious. Yeah, I was. What a, were you driving? I was driving a 1969 Buick LeSabre. It was puke Ooh. fucking green. My buddy did all the work on it. My buddy got it. How many miles is on that son of a bitch before <laughs> you left Philly? Oh yeah, it was it was already had a lot of miles on it. But my buddy goes, he goes, this thing will make it out there, and it ran like a fucking top. Wow. Thing ran like a top, and I made it in like four days. Did did it, right, did, yeah. it, did it? Did it? Did it? Did you keep it for a while while you're out there, or did it give up on you? No, no, I, I kept it for a while while okay. I was out. It was a great car. I mean, I, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I remember, I remember, I remember, I had it back at the. You know, the funny thing is, I had a nightstick under there from like the Philly days, <laughs> like, and, and I didn't realize out here that was a like that was a crime. <laughs> and so, like, uh, you know, when I, I pulled into the back of the comedy store, a cop pulled in behind me. And they did a the whole thing. I go, look, I work here. I'm a comedian. I'm a doorman. I'm staying at the house of Crestill. And they chirk my, and they locked me up for that nightstick. I go, 
that's my dad's. It was in there from before. And, a nice and, Wow. Yeah, and so Dice and a couple other people had to come down with like a bucket of fucking change and pay my bail. Like a Todd Lemish and the guys were like a the crest to fucking bail me out for some stupid thing. And and so, uh, yeah, but it was, uh, you know, there were little bumps along the way. But uh, Yeah. But uh, so you're at the store. You're working there. What What is the first, like, how did you... What was your first interaction with Kinnison? Like, well, no, everybody was hanging out. Sam wasn't even <laughs> Sam wasn't Sam Kinnison. I mean, he was Sam Kinnison, but he wasn't like what we I mean, know now. Was, no, not what you know now. I mean, you know, but no, nobody was. I mean, Dice wasn't none of those guys. Everybody was kind of doing it and trying to trying to get to where they were. But these guys were the these guys were at the top of their class. What, was it were they filmed? What was the comedy store like then? Was it was it hopping? It was a monster. It was a monster. It, it was, was. hopping because like it was Monday pretty nights. well known. You knew the comedy store oh, before yeah. you got oh, out yeah, here. But Monday night. Monday night. It was like, you know, Sam would go on. They would do an improv group called the Sopers. Uh, Robin William would stop and do guest sets. I mean, it was like the, the, the first half of the main room show on Monday was like improv groups. And then they would close it out with stand-up, and Sam would go on late. But when Sam went on late, all these rock and roll stars were coming. Like, you know, all, even before, you know, when Sam started, like Sam was kind of known before he was known by mainstream. And so he had this, like, really kind of like celebrity Kind of following and stuff, and and it's just, and it was it was craziness. I mean, I it was like, uh, you know, I was a kid, man. I was just a fucking kid that's working the door and watching all this, and taking it all in. And how easy was it to get the door guy job? Were you worried that no, you weren't going to get wasn't, in? It wasn't. I mean, the I, the only reason I got a job is because I needed guys for the Tony Clifton thing. But once I did that, then I was in. So I did them a favor, and then I got the job as the runner, which is a great job at the comedy store because you just you get to drive the comedy store jeep. You get a you had a beeper, you had a little <laughs> folder with had a hundred dollars petty cash in it. So you had cash, you had a folder, and you had to go drop off documents to believe it or not, Manat Phelps, Rothenberg, Tony and Phelps, the day job. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, the day job because yeah, uh, Mitzi's law firm was there as well. And That's so, hilarious. And so and then the Mondays you'd have to bring apples and fucking almonds to Mitzi. That was like you knew that was coming. So instead of letting them tell you, you just show up. With apples and almonds, ah, it's great, and it was right there, and, and so uh, you know, and I got to got to know Mitzi because you were working with her and stuff like that. And this was she had, was not sick at this point, or was she? Starting... No, she wasn't sick. Too. She was like forty seven. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember when. I didn't know when yeah, she, she actually was, got yeah, sick. Yeah, she but... was like you know, she was like you know, she was like a you know. Um, and they had a limo that you had to drive, like because they had the dunes, the, the dunes room. Oh in, yeah, they had the dunes room up in Vegas. On, and there was uh, also a West Side Club at this time as well, or no? No, that was already gone. But no, but went, but okay. that, that was the the. the um, was it Westwood or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Westwood. That's exactly where it was. But they would you'd pick up the on my, everybody would bring their cars to the comedy store. You'd pull in the limo. Everybody would pile into the limo and you would drop them off at Burbank Airport where they would all fly up. And then Mitzi would stay up there for a day or two, and then she would fly back to make sure the show was going to run. But she had the Dunes room. That was that was her room at the Dunes, which was awesome. Wow, that is awesome. And so uh, you know, you were just I was just kind of immersed in it. I was immersed in this world that I wanted to be immersed in. And you got to have great conversations with with guys and and Sam was hanging. I remember all the comedians that, like you work at the door and everybody would go out to eat. To be like eight guys, Freddie Asparagus, Carl LeBeau, Sam Kinison. I was just a, a neophyte. And these guys would all hang out and all fucking crack jokes. And it was fun to it was really kind of cool. It was like, you know, yeah. And so um and and and, and the one thing it sounds like never changed because when I first came out here, that's the first place I went. It was, you know, it was two thousand. It was a little bit different then. It was it kind of had hit a little bit of a, a skid. Yeah, well, but the, but the environment of like there's rooms and you can hang out. You don't have, you know, even if you're not going up, they encourage that kind of stuff. Where some of the other places just didn't seem to have that same 
vibe that no, of yeah, that, that fraternity, really, if you will, sorority yeah. or whatever. I don't want I don't want to rule out women, but you know what I'm no, saying. No, the like improv that whole, was like that as well because the improv actually had a had a bar down there you could yeah. hang out, which was cool in the front. So yeah. the improv in the comedy <laughs> store was like you go back and forth between those two places, which was and you could sneak like, in and see guys and they wouldn't ask you to get yeah, out. Exactly, yes. they, they knew who yeah. you were. You're right. Part of it was hanging out. Part of it is they got to get to know you. Part of it is they got to get to know that you're not a sociopath because you know on the Monday nights at the comedy store, a lot of those people were like deranged, like, oh, like man. crazy. And I so they already doing the two o'clock in the morning sign-up kind of stuff? Is that at that yeah, point or yeah, no? Yeah, they were doing it. I mean, the comedy store has been pretty consistent with what the comedy store is. It was just... And, and man, it was fucking crazy. It was just a different fucking time. You know, I mean, there was... And always, there's a lot of, you know... Uh, Chuckle fuckers hanging out yeah. and comedian porn stars and fucking strippers and fucking you know rock yeah, and roll those worlds guys. those late night worlds kind of all converge. And, 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 yeah. you know, it it like, is the Sunset Strip after and, all. And it was yeah. a Sunset Strip <laughs> in the eighties and in the in the eighties and there was Booger Sugar and Bolivia Marcher Powder fucking all over the place. <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't make it into the Motley Crue uh, uh, movie. It, it, yeah, it, well, Tommy Lee hung out. Those guys all hung out because all those musicians because right down the street, actually, all the- but yeah, but they also they all thought they were like stand ups. They all thought they were funny enough to be standing. Some of them were. Yeah. Some of them were. But that, like, you know, you know, comedians secretly want to be musicians. Yeah. yeah. And musicians secretly <laughs> want to be comedians. Stand- yeah. It was like this, like, so they had this little thing. It's like this little secret that was going on, but it was great. It was, it, you know, I mean, uh, it was so much fucking fun, man. I mean, I, I, I mean, I had a blast. Yeah. Early on, when, when you first yeah. got there, what was the one, you know, the, there's that, to me, I remember the first time I ever went there, I went and sat in the back. It was super late. And just being just being allowed to be the fly on the wall, and um, uh, actually was uh, the first time I stepped foot in there. Where John Caparillo was on stage, doing some stuff, and it was just it didn't it, it was just I'll never forget that moment because the first time I ever got to sit down in the OR. Yeah. No one questioned me, and I just got to just watch somebody just mess around on stage. Do you remember the first time you actually just walked in and just stood in back, and you were like, "Wow, this." Yeah, is... Yeah, I remember. I mean, I I, I was uh, I was a doorman, so yeah, I, I, uh, that was my thing. I mean, I I didn't get how I didn't give him as much about the tour. As I cared about <laughs> Being able to yeah. walk fifteen feet over and walk up those steps. Well, what, and... what, wasn't even that. It wasn't. Even, I mean, I was like literally. They would have you sitting there. Like you know, those three steps that go up to the original room. Oh, so you're you in the, literally you're sit in the, there. the front part of the. There building. was a phone booth right here. Yeah, you would sit by the friggin' the phone booth just to watch the back door, and uh, the ladies' rooms were right there. So you got to sit there, and you were wearing the official comedy store gear, so you looked official yeah. and stuff. But you were like, position A, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get to watch the comedy. What was the first the comedian? In the what was a comedian that when you went up, you're like, this is fucking awesome. That I'm just literally just I'm here, and this guy just got up on stage. What, what would be a comedian uh, that was, first time? You know, Rob Williams. I, I mean, shit. I had this great saw, moment with Richard Pryor. Like, I I had been in a motorcycle accident, and so I had this cast on my leg. I was on there for a little while, and I was, and I was like, finally. And the guy said, well, so I cut the cast off because I was going to the doctor the next day to cut the cast off anyway. So I figured, let me just cut it off now and get all. <laughs> What'd you use? I use a steak knife, <laughs> and I said, because I'm a savage. And uh, six hours later, you got the cast off. Yeah, no, you know, so I got the st- I got the thing, and I washed my leg and get rid of all that dead skin. You know, and I was kind of just kind of just gingerly walking. And Richard Pryor had pulled his like Lamborghini like right in front of the hotel, and I was staying in my brother's room at the hotel. So we came down. My brother came out for a visit, so I I came down and I walked out. And just as I'm getting to the sidewalk, Richard Pryor was we just kind of we just kind of like kind of hooked up like it was like I was coming out, and he was starting to walk. 
And I noticed I was struggling with my my walking and stuff. He goes, hey, what happened, man? And I said, I, I was in a motorcycle accident. I just cut the cast off. He goes, oh, I got a motorcycle. I said, well, you should get rid of it, man. <laughs> flesh and bone and steel and concrete don't mix. They got chuckled. I go, no, man. I go, you you know, I, I said, it's not worth it. And I said, it's not even you. It would be somebody else driving. And, yeah. and then they wouldn't see you or stuff. You wouldn't mean to happen, but that's what would happen. And I was just, you know, just kind of getting this, getting ready to walk. And we had this really human cool moment because I didn't freak out that it was Richard Pryor. Yeah. I just talked to him like a fucking person. And we had this walk from like the from the middle of the hotel all the way. And it wasn't a fast walk. I was walking gingerly. <laughs> so we had yeah. this like nice little conversation. And we get to the front and he walks into the door and I stopped there to talk to somebody. And he came back and he goes, hey, Richard, man. I said, Richard, Jimmy, man. I said, it's really a pleasure to meet you. I mean, you're one of my heroes. I listen to all your stuff. And so we had this cool moment. I didn't get to have the fanboy moment until after we had that cool yeah. little talk. But yeah. you have, you got to have those moments with a lot of people. I mean, Robin Williams or, oh, you, know, you talk to him about different stuff. Because you were a comedian, they accepted you. Or because you worked there, they accepted you. And, you know, and, com- and comedians are a weird bunch. You know, if you if you show up with a bunch of comedians, you start trying to be funny and being everything, you, you'll fucking turn everybody off. Yeah. But if you hang out, and you let everybody be who they authentically are, and you know eventually they'll they'll, they'll get used to you. But it's it's got you, you got to earn it. You know they don't they just you know they don't they don't it, it's just not given. You don't so, just walk up and start yuck yucking. No they no don't, no. Yeah. So it was so that was the cool thing. But you learned all the stuff, and 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 then they would help you where they would help you. I mean, believe me, if they could, I mean, you know, I mean, I. Well, I mean, getting on the road with Kinnison must have been a pretty big deal. I was fucking huge. I, yeah. you know, they, I remember they came. He was out. They were they were out having a good time. He was off on his own. He's getting ready to do like a like a seventy city tour, and they were looking for a couple guys. And so there was a room over there on at the bottom of La Siena, Chrissy Francis Hollywood Comedy Room. And she was a booker that used to think I think she used to book Igby's or was involved in it. So everybody okay. knew her. Yeah, I saw Seinfeld. There was a tiny little room in West Hollywood that, and so uh, I was getting spots there. And and so he said, "Because when are you going?" I go, "I'm going on at this room." He goes, "Yeah, well, come by and watch you. What time are you going?" I go, "About eleven." So they all came in and hung out, and there was really a small crowd. It was probably like maybe 10, 15 people. And so I went up and did my show. And Sam goes, "Yeah, he's good enough to work with us." I, he goes, "I like him," I, you know. So Carl, you know, but I was friendly with those guys before that sure sure but they did want to see you to make sure that you had chops no it wasn't nothing was given man right yeah yeah, even when i got on tour you know because it was like you know they were like you know it was like you know there was like it was it was uh alan stevens and mitchell walters and carl lebeau and sam kinnison and i was one of the guys that got to go with them but i was also the youngest guy there and so i had to oversee the luggage to make sure the bellhops got the luggage to the rooms for everybody so i also had other jobs to do and other stuff along the way so i was doing the shows at night which were phenomenal 5000 seats sold out dude yeah doing and you're doing uh, you're doing two shows at the Fox Theater in Detroit, and he's and so and you're on a tour bus going across America, and you're having fucking you're laughing every day, yeah. you're eating out, everything's per diem's taken care of. It was fucking cool as shit. Yeah, and I was like one of these guys. Go, how the fuck do you get? I mean, it's you're opening now, but how do you get to be that guy? Yeah, I'm that guy. How do you get to be that guy? And so it's uh, you know, it was uh, it, it, you know, I got to watch uh, Kinison's process. I got to watch Carl LeBeau's process. I got to watch uh, Mitch Walters. It was this like funny fucking. Hilarious guy that was this funny, 
like nonstop, twenty four seven. He had jokes on. I used to write for Laughing. He was one of these guys. Wow. Just had to like a, he just had to like a, and he was a character. He was a grifter. He was also a magician that could fucking do card slides and stuff. So we had that in common. But I was like, they they looked after me. They I was like this young kid that that was like on, but I was funny enough to get on the show. And were you and already a comedy store kid at that guy at that time? Had you yeah, been yeah, I was already a comedy kind of store. Stuff? Yeah, I was, okay, I was so you passed. were getting spots. In fact, and... some nights, you know, I, I remember Arsenio Hall. Brought me on stage one night. He was getting ready. He goes, "I'm going to introduce this next guy." And we, he brought me up on stage to do a main room set, like on a Monday night. And Mitzi was sitting backstage. She didn't even know. But he, fucking Arsenio brought me up, and I fucking had a great set. And I went back, and Mitzi was there. She goes, "I was great." And you know, so that all. I mean, it was like really like yeah. you know, Mitzi. I love that Mitzi created this place yeah. where the, you know you can go up there and really work on your craft. And and to, even to this day, I mean, they don't. I mean, you can go in there and do what the fuck it is. You work on stuff. It's like a gymnasium. But nowadays, it's like, I mean, there's like, you know, the lineups are ridiculously fucking amazing. And everybody's fucking crushing it. So you better yeah. be bringing Yeah, you better be A-game. good. Yeah, yeah, you're bringing your A-game. But it's great, though. I mean, it's like a kind of comedy festival. That and the camaraderie there is awesome. I love, you know, podcasts have helped uh, the attendance there. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's also... Um, you know, it's just yeah, it's a it's cool. I'm glad it's having a resurgence because there was yeah. a couple. There was a period there. I think you were there for that, John. It's yeah, really, it was tough to get audiences in there late night. And, yeah, and stuff it was. Like I, I I really equate it to to uh, Adam and just like that takeover from Tommy. It, the well, pl- Adam and Eric and all those guys. Yeah, that, that, they that really. Decided to give the face a little, give the place a little facelift, and let people back in who hadn't been like who had been banned or told they well, were, yeah, weren't welcome. Well, yeah, but Tommy there. was a douchebag. Oh, yeah, no, no, Tommy no like, question. Dude. He was no telling question. people like Felicia Michaels, you're too old, you're washed. I was like, hey, motherfucker, who are you to decide that? Yeah. You know, Felicia I, Michaels. You know, they is banned it. They, 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 you know, Tommy went with fucking Carlos Mencia over, over Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and, and and Joe came back, and you know, and just fucking, Joe coming back was huge, and just like the idea, like <clears throat> David Spade is there. Now a lot, you know. Chris uh, Rock Spade, is popping uh, in more Joey now. Joey Coco Diaz, yeah. Uncle Joey, uh, like yeah. everybody. Tom Segura, Burke Kreischer. Yeah. I mean, Brad Williams. I mean, all these guys that are fucking, you know, monster fucking road comedians are there on a regular basis, right? And they are, weren't. They didn't used to be. They didn't used to be because no, they didn't, but now, yeah, exactly. Pointless. And yeah, and you know, and, and then let's not leave out some of the the women that are the Nikki Glazer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and, and uh, I think. Uh, well, Felicia Michaels is a great example in the sense that like Tommy's telling her she's washed up, but she's still. She's funnier now. I mean, she's just... Yeah, but the problem is, think about stand-up is you don't get that fucking funny until you put 20 years in. Yeah. I mean, some people, like, it takes you yes. fucking 10 years. Sometimes more. Some people find it sooner. Some people find it takes... But I would say average, you know, 20 say years seven, seven eight years to just get fucking comfortable enough to be who you authentically are. And then another, you know, a couple of years to develop these relationships with club bookers all over the country so you can go make a living with it. And and some of these places like, you know, the improv, which are chains, so if you get in one, you can, you can work them all. Yeah. But then there's all these little mom and pop shops out there that you got to go out and establish relationships with these people. And really, it's, you know, it's, you know, going getting up to the Montreal Comedy Festival and kind of launching and getting a second chance. I mean, after Kinison died in 92, I left Los Angeles. Oh, really? I, moved, I moved to Florida because I was I was I was in love with this girl down there and it was uh, you know we wanted to uh, I wanted to see if it was you know and I just got tired of the fucking I mean dude the, the, every time you go on people bring it up and talk about it and plus I wanted to get away from all the fucking stupid you know drugs and shit I wanted to get yeah, back I was gonna ask go fall in love uh, with uh, the reason I started doing stand up and want to do stand up so I literally moved to Florida and started down there as a house MC. 
I started as a house MC, and you got to work six nights a week. You had to you got to do thirty minutes up front. You got to do fifteen in between the acts at this club, Cagarty's. And so that's where I really, really, really found my voice. I mean, even after touring with Kinnison, but I was, yeah. I was heavily influenced by you know all those guys that were around me because they were they were all. I mean, as funny as Sam was, he wasn't the funniest one. Carl LeBeau was fucking the funniest guy on the fucking planet. Mitch Walters was, you know, right. and Kinnison was a beast because he let these fucking four funny guys go up in front of him and, and then he took a little intermission then he would come out and do a fucking hour and then close with a rock and roll band. Wild uh, thing. Yeah. And all the comedians would come back on stage and be like back You got to sing Wild Thing? Yeah, yeah on oh, stage. I have a video. I have a video of that, bro. Dude, I, have, I have video of that. Dude, but you know, that but, is and, uh, fucking uh, awesome. Yeah, and so... Um, but it was, but it was uh, you know, great. and then you get to hang out. And, you know, you know, it's like, you know, and like, um, I remember like, you know... Uh, you know, Sam, I got to do the Spectrum in Philly, opening for Sam. My grandmother came to see the, the show. Oh, my God. I'm assuming the family. Yeah, yeah, the whole Your thing. grandmother right. came to yeah, see Sam Yeah, she goes, people. I've seen enough, though. That's not going to offend me. But she came out, and Sam was very nice to my family and stuff. And so, like, you know, he put all these, like, really cool moments. I mean, I got to hang out with Stallone at this Chinese restaurant out in Malibu, and I'm sitting across <laughs> from Sam, and Stallone's here. We're hanging out having a conversation. Like, I mean, all these cool, great yeah. Fucking moments of like, you know, you were you were on board. It was I felt like I was more part of a rock band than I was a comedian. It had that feel to it, you yeah. Know? And so, uh, and it was fun. We had we 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 partied a little bit. We also oh, had yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, dude. I mean, I remember going to Vegas. We, now this was like when we were on tour with Sam. Um, the Dunes was no longer being the Dunes had a room. It was the old comedy store room, but it wasn't the comedy store that they'd since gotten rid of it. So Sam was up there on it. We were doing two weeks in a row in Vegas. In Vegas, two, two weeks, weeks in Vegas. Yeah, with and Kinnison. what happened was they had this male strip review coming into to the show. They canceled last minute, so we wound up doing three weeks in Vegas, bro. Wow, three weeks in Vegas. Uh, yeah, bro, you can imagine. That's about the uh, of twenty-seven damage. days too long. I had to come back and get a cat scan. I thought I had brain <laughs> damage, but I mean, it, it was just it, it was insane. And and you know, fucking Billy Idol's hanging out, and I was like, I was like, it was madness, bro. I mean, literally. Literally, uh, that well, I literally came back from Vegas and went to like a fucking AA meeting. Well, and said, like I gotta get my shit together. And and you talked about it, and, it's, and you actually it's funny you brought this up about the Steve Martin two thing as, as well. Is that th it does happen sometimes with standups become rock stars like it, it and it's a different level. And that when you look and you know because obviously you lived it, I, that really was what Sam did become. He became a, a, he transcended just being a standup. He was a yeah. You rock know, did the star. wild thing video. And he was smart enough because he actually had uh, he had this uh, rock and roll manager that they handled rock acts, but they also handled Sam Kinison, which I think is really fucking smart. Yeah, because he was that. That was the direction he was going. Yeah, which is get they got him a theater tour and all this other stuff because they had all those connections from the music industry and and uh, he filmed the Wild Thing video the day after the MTV Awards in Los Angeles because all those rock and rollers were in town for the MTV Awards and because he was a comedian. They all just lent their services. I mean, yeah, Slash, they just came out. Rudy Sarzo, uh, yeah, fucking. Uh, I mean, CC Deville. Everybody's in that video. I, I mean, everybody's I mean, in that. If video you played guitar in the '80s, you're probably in that video. <laughs> no, I was. I'm in the video. I get to hang out with those fucking. And I didn't even play guitar. I got to see that video again and fucking. Oh no, I got, I got a picture of it, bro. I think it's on my Instagram. And I got a mullet, bro. I got long hair. I look like Daryl Hall. That Philly. I look, oh, oh, dude, I bet that was a sweet mullet, though. 
I mean, bro, sweet, sweet mullet. There was a blue. I was a blue ribbon state fair winning mullet. Bro. Yeah, did you keep a goodie comb in your back no, pocket? I look like, 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 like Daryl Hall, man. I look like Daryl Hall. But I mean, that was the time period. I mean, yes, dude, I got yeah. more. I got a fucking thirty-one inch waist, bro. I got more <laughs> pussy than uh, fucking than any man should be allowed to have during that period of my life. And then it's so funny. Like I remember, like I was like we were doing Seattle, and you know Sam was controversial, and and so I would like we did a show, we were the opening acts, and I would come out in the theater and hang out and do a little work, and it was a couple of these like usher girls that were like there and was hanging out, and you know we're staying at the thing, and I know the next morning we have to leave, and I never wouldn't you know, and so they go, oh we're going to come out and hang out. You know, you want to come out and hang out with us? They go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's and so I, I I went over, hung out, like I come walking in with these two these two girls. I'm hanging out with these two girls, and dude, like the, I walk in and there's four women without their tops on, like painting each other. They were putting on, they were painting each other's like breasts and stuff. And, then, and I'm with two, and there's four women sitting there without their tops on. And I was like, yeah, okay. And we're sitting there <laughs> hanging out. And we're doing this thing. And then one of the girls grabs me as she picks me up and she takes me downstairs and we, we start fucking like in the basement of this like fucking room and stuff. And this other girl comes down, gets naked and fucking joins us. And we had Boom. this like, and they fucking were like 69 the other one, like fucking the one girl. And I was like, this is <laughs> fucking insane. Like, this is crazy. And I, I like literally had to jump and I had to go like get a fucking cab and like I had to get back before the fucking bus left because if you weren't on the bus, the bus left you, bro. Yeah. And, you, and then you were fucked. So I had to. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to fucking. I wanted to stay, but I got. I got. I got to. My bus is leaving. But I mean, like, but stuff like that was like a. It was. It, it was crazy, man. I mean, like, like it was like his rock star. You had to live this like this rock star life without being a rock star. But it was. It was. It was. It was fun. And it also. It was also crazy because because of the drugs because everything was done in like this last minute hair you know hair pulling nail biting frenzy. We gotta get over here. We're gonna be here and, yeah. and stuff. So you know, and it, and it, and it did get to be too much at, at well, a certain I, I point. I was gonna did, say, oh, go no, ahead. Go ahead. No. Oh, I, was, I was gonna say, I think it speaks a lot to your um, dedication to being a stand-up. Like you, if you knew that, you knew that was what you wanted to do. Getting on the road with Kinnison is obviously a huge break and very cool and very fun. But like you said, when you eventually moved to Florida, it wasn't. Because you were giving up or whatever. You, it, it, in fact, it was because you wanted to become a better comedian. I want to become a better comedian. I want to get back to basics. And, you know, you get caught up in that world. Yeah, it fucking can be stuff. easy to like, do, man. And, and, and also, you think, like, it has something to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's not your life. It's Sam's life. Yeah. But you got to experience that, which was cool. And I got to also learn what not to fucking do as well. There you go. And, I mean, I go, like, you know, I mean, you know, like, you know, Sam Kinison with the, you know, the, 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 the book, you know, Say No to Drugs. I mean, Sam tore that page that had the word no in a dictionary, pulled it out and rolled a joint with it. You yeah. know, like, I mean, it was, he was, it was, it, it got, towards the end, it got a little crazy and I, I was like, I was kind of slowly swimming away slow, not for any other reason, that I just wanted to get away from all that influence and I realized Sam was not going to make anybody a star. He barely made himself a star just because he was so outrageous. I mean, this guy, I mean, like he would have, if it was anybody else besides Sam, would have fucked up their careers when they blew off Joan Rivers. Yeah, when he was on Howard Stern, drunk and coked up all morning. People are listening to that. Yeah, oh, this guy's fucking out of his mind. I mean, it was it was different. It was it was you know, I'm glad there was no you know, but I'm also glad I got it out of my system. I got it out of my system. So you left before the end. 
Well, well, no, I was. I didn't leave. I was just. I was just friends. But I mean, you know. Sam no, I mean, but you moved. You, you, but I was starting to swim away slow. Were, okay, I was starting okay. to establish myself because even when I came off the road with Kinnison, the the smart thing I did uh, when I was on the road, I had the, had these books and I would call the comedy clubs in the cities and I'd invite the bookers and the owners out. I will, I'll leave four passes for you for the Sam Kinnison show with a backstage pass, and you guys come backstage. I'll introduce you to Sam Kinnison. And sometimes Sam will go do spots. He goes, "Oh, you guys got the club? Let's go over and do a spot." And we'll oh, go over there. Oh, that's awesome. And so we. we and so you got. The, I made connections with all these club owners and people that booked this stuff. When, that's what I was doing. And then when I got off the road with Sam Kinison, I would double back around and go all the, to all okay. those markets. Yeah, I would go to all those markets. That's how I got on the road. Yeah, that's how I got on the road. I was like, you know, it's because you know, and I was willing to fucking do any. I mean, those triple runs yeah. and any of those runs. Triple runs. How long have those things been around? My God. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, that, that's a lot of fucking driving, man. You yeah. feel like a truck driver. Twenty four. Then you hours. go do the. Then you go do the. And I would literally come off the road with Sam and go back onto those markets. In fact, Sam said to me, "We were at his place in Mallory. He goes, how come you're the only motherfucker?" I swear to God, I go. I gotta come back off the road. I pay these guys pretty good. Come back off the road. I gotta pay all the rent. You? No. I said, because I booked myself. He goes, and he asked me, he goes, could you do that with some of the other guys? I said, yeah, I booked some of the other guys. We'll do a show. He goes, well, let's put it together. And, he, and so he wanted to go to Tulsa for a couple of weeks and see his mom. He goes, could you buy? I go, yeah, I'll book the club. So I booked a couple of the outlaws in there for one week. He came in for the work the weekend, did some shows, and he hung out for the next week. But he was seeing his mom, and so, and so everybody could kind of hang out and, and stuff like that. And so I got to be... Uh, I got pretty good at understanding the business and what the deal was. And of course, it's... obviously, it was different then. But I mean, I was—I never stopped. I mean, I was relentless. I yeah. was relentless in in the pursuit of get, becoming a better fucking comedian, but also in building these relationships with these people who could provide you with a way to make a living. So you didn't—you didn't get obsessed with the. It sounds like you were able to um, compartmentalize the, the the highs of like how intense. I mean, because you can get spoiled, right? You can get spoiled the tour buses and the the big shows, and you the think three yourself, ways. It's, it's it's right. It's you tap that vein, and you're like, well, I, you know, and then you got to go do some other small club. Like, how did you compartmentalize that stuff of like in your mind of like, God, I was just doing this five thousand seater, now yeah. I got to no, do this because because listen, here it's 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 it's, it's a, you know it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, it's like it's like your life. You know, it's like look, you know, over the course of my life, I've done shows where I made ten grand for one night doing a uh, doing a, a corporate event, and then and then and then I go do spots for at the comedy store for twenty five bucks a night. Yeah. So you, you there's <laughs> that's the, the that's the gambit. I mean, but the thing is, you want to become good enough that you could demand that kind of money on the road and for a corporate stuff and. So that you can go do a fucking X-rated blue show on a late show on a Friday night to get in the main room, but you also can dial it back fifteen percent and then go do a kind of a corporate clean show because because where where you, where it's like it was NC seventeen where you can say shit or drop one f bomb right, but you can't a, say cunt or like yeah you yeah, can't say cunt and it's yeah. not, there's, a, there's a difference though well, they they don't mind a little blue but they don't want you to be offensive it doesn't need to be about gratuitous talking about hey I was up there fist fucking his nut right with cancer right and, and go oh wait a second. So I'm in the 7-Eleven. Here's Mother Teresa on the meat slider. So the guy's fist-fucking Mother Teresa. In the you haven't done that? Anybody? 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 Come on. Where's my people? This guy you know? knows. But, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a difference between being... 
poignant with a little with a little edge yeah. as opposed to being completely fucking offensive and talking about all the shit you're not supposed to talk about because I mean look the job's already tough enough why are you working against yourself yeah. I mean you just, just it's all in the writing be really clever and creative you can all fucking say anything I mean I remember watching the Seinfeld episode where they did a whole episode about masturbation yeah. I never said it one time yep. and to me that was so impressive as I go they're just writing around it yeah. they're writing around it and that's really like like you go oh, you could, if you fucking work and to me that it's always been about the writing I mean yep. the writing nowadays like you know on my new special which is available on jimmyshubert.com on the video platform people can go check it out go to Jimmy Schubert you can rent it for $3.99 you can own it for $9.99 just download the video app you watch it on your TV it's a great fucking special it's hilarious but you'll see there's writing the, the writing in there is, is great I mean you know there's a little something for everybody you, you know you gotta when you're doing crowds you gotta, you gotta do a, a kind of a, a clever dick joke but you also yeah. gotta work to the top of your intelligence you know you're doing a Greek yogurt bit about <laughs> what's, what's, what's so great about Greek yogurt what's in there it's a little what hairy you, what is what, what is What's in there? Was it ouzo and milk and a didactic lecture on the perils of an unintellectualized democracy? <laughs> Finally, a yogurt with Aristotelian ideas. Listen, hey, Grace, do me a favor. Why don't you get your unemployment rate below 87% before you worry about the amount of probiotics in my lower GI? Here's an idea, Grace. Why don't you get your shit together before you worry about getting my shit together? How about that? But, you know, but just writing. I've always been a... I mean, I write... You know, I'm always writing out these long form by hand stuff, and then I I kind of kind of scale it back and scale it back and scale it back to get this like nugget, and then I'll transfer it into my computer and I'll memorize it and play around with it, and then when I get it ready, then I can take it on stage and play with it up there a little bit as well. So <laughs> that's that's my process. But yeah, I mean, no, that's great. I th- I think I became uh, a better comedian when I started. Because I that kind of stuff that you're talking about, it's watching Seinfeld and seeing that he's working around the like talking about a whole thing about a beaten off, but never saying beaten off. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. that's impressive. And when I started to kind of like realize that I didn't have to say <clears throat> every word didn't have to be a swear word, or you know, I could I could scale that back and just try to write a little bit more clever. I think I really I became a much better comedian yeah. from that. Well, I was doing my uh, I remember this is the one thing uh, Kinnison talked about when he did the Rodney Dangerfield thing that yeah. they kind of launched him. Yeah. He sat he got there early and he sat with all the, the director and all the camera guys and they literally went over his set, what he was going to do and how he was going to shoot it and direct it and that stuff like that. So they was like, okay, cool. Because he put that time in. You know, and then when I finally got my comedy half hour, my Comedy Central Presents, I literally did the same thing but that was a page I tore out of his playbook. I sat there because I was doing the conjoinal twin bit where you reach over and your finger banging a midget that's connected to the woman who wanted to be a country western singer. And I literally, I literally had the director shoot her. I go, will they let me finger bang them? He goes, no. I go, can I reach out a frame and finger bang the midget so everybody sees it here and the audience at home will have to wonder what I was doing? He goes, that we can do. He goes, I can shoot around that. I can shoot around that. So when I do my fish thing, you guys come into my foot. And I went over every line of my fucking act with the director and because that's... And it made for a great fucking special. Yeah. It made and so uh you know, yeah, I did learn good things from Sam, not just the, how to fucking <laughs> do a little bump of boogie sugar. But those are the, those days are long gone. You know, I retired my I retired my straw. It was a Hall of Fame career. <laughs> I bet that's <laughs> made of gold. Put up above the mantle. Are all those at the? There is a comedy hall of fame somewhere, right? I, I saw that they is opened really? up a couple years ago. Yes, yeah, somewhere. I, I, I don't know, but yeah, but you know, it's it, it's art, man. It's it's so subjective. What some people like, other people don't yeah. like. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, it's not you like know, lifting I, weights, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's it's uh, you know, 
you know, and like you said, it's your job. I go, I don't know who convinced these people that it's your job to fucking correct social injustices and stuff like that. I mean, I, like, they go, well, well, some comedians did it. I mean, you know, Lenny Bruce fucking wound up ODing in a fucking room because they he tried to be that guy, and they, and they, and you, and guy, and they comics, beat it out of him. Comics that don't realize this, you know, Lenny Bruce fucking died for your sins. He, he fucking, you, you know, they, they fucking tortured this fucking guy for saying cocksucker, motherfucker, and yeah. all this other stuff. They fucking, they, they ruined his fucking life to the point where he was fighting these legal battles and he couldn't win, and they were dogging him and, and you know, and locking him. And obviously he had a heroin problem on top of that, so it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he but became I mean, a shell of his comedic. Itself, and he was just reading court papers by the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like... but, but he was also when you listen to his stuff, you listen to some of the, the stuff. I mean, I remember I, I we were at a gig and Sam got all fucked up, and so I had to drive him home in his fucking and his fucking sweet ass fucking like as uh, like a race car, like a, I think it was the car he had, the Trans Am that pulls away in that special. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that was that that was oh. a, uh, that was a, a Corvette, ah. which he also crashed, which I also had to fucking bail him out of because we were fucking, um, but. He uh, and I fucking uh, and I'm driving and I'm popping the cassette tape and he was listening to Lenny Bruce. I go, oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> Trying to rework some of Lenny Bruce's bits, <laughs> make a contemporary motherfucker. I don't know what you. He's passed down. Going, okay, bro, I get it. Fucking <laughs> out, you know. But Lenny, Lenny Bruce to me is very like I didn't listen to him until later on. Like I was influenced by other comedians, but I, I found Lenny Bruce later. But he's like, it's like listening to jazz. Yeah, it, it's very it's much very like, very like much beatnik like, You know, man, like, but his idea is like, you know, the Catholic Church, man, it's like the IHOP. You know, you yeah. know, but everybody has to send all, all the the money back to the, like, the big IHOP, the international headquarters back in Rome, you know, man. Yeah. And it was like that, that kind of, but he was like, and there was a guy named Joe Ansis who later, who was like Lenny's best friend, but he yeah. was also friends with uh, Rodney Dangerfield as well later on. They used to, they used to write and, um, Joe Ansis would do these hilarious fucking bits when they were hanging out at fucking the, the, the Cantor's, the, the deli in New York, and and they would all fucking be dying late night. And this guy, Joe Ansis, he goes, why are you doing it on stage? He goes, I can't do it on stage. And he goes, Lenny, you want to do it? But he would help. I mean, he came up with these ideas, but this guy was like this quiet, unsung hero. But he we became friends with Roddy back in the day. But Roddy, I mean, that motherfucker, he, just, he, he even though he quit doing comedy, he never stopped writing. He had like copy books. That's why when he did become famous, he had so much material. Bing, bing. Big, yeah. I mean, dude, you watch those. Uh, you can watch them on a Tonight Show. It's so great. I mean, he's like, I, I love the fucking Dangerfield. Dangerfield man. is uh, one of the funniest things pointed out to me was on a documentary. Jerry Seinfeld's like, Ronnie Dangerfield is a stage name, but there's absolutely no way you look at that guy and listen to that guy and think that that's not his real name. You know, what? I didn't even put that together. I'm like, that dude is Rodney Dangerfield. He didn't have yeah. to change anything. Jack Roy, Jackie Roy. Jack, he, he actually, when he first started the stand up, was Jackie Roy. And then he, when he came back, he came up with this whole character, but great and, and just a monster oh, of a fucking dude. Uh, so uh, funny. Uh, that, whole, that whole thing. And it's so funny. Sometimes people go because of that style. You, where some people say, you know, you remind me of like a like a Rodney Dangerfield kind of like because you got that. Just you just don't stop. You just don't stop. It's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah. But yeah. But that that's. Uh, Did you have a lot of run-ins with Rodney at the store? Yeah, I met Rodney. Hung out with him yeah. a couple times. I was uh, we were all over. Uh, he was staying at the Summerfield Suites over here, and he invited everybody back, which was like this whole like yeah like a two room thing, and everybody's over there in the big sunken living room and sitting around a table, and I was there <laughs> with Kinnison and. Rodney goes and he gets in his fucking bathrobe because that's what Rodney does. He's got a hot young <laughs> chick there and everybody's sitting around a table and fucking Sam's bodyguard standing there holding two fucking vodka and orange juices and Sam's got a little fucking mirror. It was like one of the tiles from the table. 
and he's chopping out bumps and fucking running. He goes, oh, look at little Nero over here. <laughs> he, goes, hey, he goes, hey, relax, kid, relax. I'm not trying to make new friends. All right? I'm trying to lose the ones I got, okay? Okay, relax, kid. No, but he loves Sammy. I mean, they, they generally had an affection. I hung out with him when bon jo- John Bon Jovi and... Um, uh, Rodney, were in Sam's video. That oh. that, that one video, uh, "Have You Seen Me Lately?" or what that, that other rock. Oh movie. yeah, yeah. And so they were all, uh, yeah. You get to hung out and like you know and, and, and hung out. Rodney was fucking cool, man. Rodney loved young comics. He, yeah, that's he, why he, he I mean, was always. Like, oh yeah, that's good. That's good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was. A, I mean, Rodney was just like a just a great. Like, I mean, you know, Carlin. You get to hang out with Carlin. Go hang out backstage. Carlin's. Uh, I think it was Carlin's. Uh, 1987, he did Universal Amphitheater. We all had backstage pass to go meet Carlin, hang oh. out. So, yeah, man, Holy it, was, shit. it was cool. Yeah, the whole, yeah, it was uh, different times, man. But yeah. A lot of fun, man. Yeah. Fun. I got to see Carlin once in Vegas, just, uh, you know, on stage, and he was great. <clears throat> um, and I, I never I never got to see Kinnison, which was a bummer. A buddy of mine did go to a Kinnison show. I'm sure you were probably actually on it. Yeah. Uh, and then I, you know, obviously Lenny Bruce was died before my time, and then I never got to see Pryor live, which is a um, yeah. I'm I got to see Pryor at the Comedy Store. Come in, started working on stuff. I like, like literally would come up, but he didn't even have about five minutes, seven minutes. Do you and like that? Did you did you find that fascinating to watch? Because um, that was one thing that yeah. I always found fascinating is watching. I got to watch Gary Shandling do that. Yeah. Where where he comes in and he's like, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, it's Gary Shandling, right? Yeah, goes, and then they go into like raw, raw working shit out. And the yeah. audience is not, yeah. they're no, not quite sure, but, but I was yeah, but, fascinated yeah, by but, it, right, but Richard Pryor got all the fucking leeway he needed. Yeah. He was rich. He would get a standing ovation walking on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, you but know, you still got to see the process. Yeah, I got to see the process. And then, like, you know, three months to four months later, he had 45 minutes. And he was fucking clobbering and killing it. And he just had the sense of honesty with a stand-up that I've never seen. I mean, there's only, like maybe Damon Wayans had that 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 sense of honesty with his stand-up as well. Wow. I, I, yeah, but I mean, just just great. Um, and uh, and when you're watching him, are you watching? Do you find yourself watching to be entertained, or are you actually watching? The process, like watching how they actually well, you know, build the, a joke. You got to see it over the course of time. So yeah, the first couple of times you're watching to be entertained, and then you started studying it. You know, and it, and it was like you know it was like a like a living model of like it's you know, master class. Yeah, it's, it's a, you'd have to it's pay a master, for it. absolutely master class. You know, and watching Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney was on his guys. It was fucking amazing as well. He yeah. sit on a stool and just he would still do, good. Yeah, still good. Still, still good. Still good. Like, no, I mean just, he was great then. He's only you only get better with age in this occupation. That's you know, I agree get, with that. It's yeah, crazy. So, you know. Um, Stand up's like one of the only only things that I that professions in especially in the entertainment world, maybe acting, I guess, but like where you do be get you get better with age. Like, you know, you, you think you're so well, funny at twenty four, I mean, but you know, when you're forty four, you look at look at the quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, you know, they they, they the, a lot of when they first get there, that league moves pretty fast, they panic a little bit. But you guys look at a guy like fucking Nick Foles who came out as a backup quarterback and beat the the goat, Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, you know, but went toe to toe with him, throwing Throwing, you know, which is amazing. I don't think Carson Wentz could have won that Super Bowl. I took, I took a guy like Nick Foles, who was getting ready to quit two years ago, yeah. and uh, I did, didn't give a shit because, look, I, I'm here. And uh, amazing, amazing story. I actually thought he was going to do it two years in a row, which would have been fucking awesome. But you have to get that fucking experience, yeah. you know? And so... Uh, you have to fail. I mean, you genuinely have to fail. That's the one thing I was telling you earlier that I used to... Um, uh, you have to I, fail. I, I door guide tw- at two places. One, I was a door guy at the comedy store, but I also was a door guy at the, the comedy magic club. 
And I watched five days in a row, I watched Gary Shandling come in. And it's like, you know, for me at that time, when I, this was probably around 2000, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, Gary Shandling. Like, I'm, you know, I mean, again, you know, bowing down. This is, you know, on, the, on Mount Rushmore comedy for me. And he comes in, audience is like, this is great, Gary Shandling. And then he starts working out the raw bits. They laugh at him for like five minutes. Then there's about 10 minutes where they're like, they're not sure. This audience is like, isn't he always supposed to be funny? And I'm so dumb, right? I'm like, man. Maybe he's not as funny as he used to. Maybe he doesn't have the chops. And then he comes in on Tuesday. Then he comes in on Wednesday. And by, by the time he comes in on Friday, all of a sudden I'm like, am I a fucking moron? I yeah. got to watch. He he was every night. He, created he was those just things. listening to little moments. And he was tweak, tweak, but that's, tweak. That's the, that, but, then, but that's why comedians need to be able to do that yeah. without you standing up and yelling, that's bullshit. That's offensive. Yeah. Because we're not. It's not the end game. Yeah. At least Picasso gets to finish his paintings before you fucking take a sh steamy shit in his right, fucking right. in his blue. All right? Before you take a shit in his fucking paint tray. You know? So there's the process involved. But yeah, you gotta I mean, you know. And I, I mean, was able to absorb it and go, and at the end, I was like, shit. I like it's going about the master class. All yeah. of a sudden it hit me. You've been taught. Yeah. There, there are well, lots of Look at look at look at uh freaking you know, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. My favorite documentary about being a stand-up comedian is the piece of work documentary with Joan Rivers because she fucking nails it. And she's, first off, she's a woman comedian and a fucking maverick. Every bit funny as anybody 30, 30 years her junior. Yeah. And fucking hung with the big boys. Yeah. Carson, fucking Rickles. I mean, just a, and was doing Fearless. shit that was controversial in 75 and yeah. 74. She was on TV talking about abortion. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is great. But you can't even mention the word abortion. I, mean, I want to do a bit about fucking, you know, abortion. It's like, yeah, okay, hey, you get two, okay? You get two girls, okay? It's a fucking vagina. Figure it out. You get come in there, you can get knocked up. You can't tell me you're 30 and you haven't figured out how your fucking vagina works yet. Why the fuck? I mean, it's like fucking retarded. It's like, you know, look, if you're 28 and you had five abortions, nobody wants to fuck that haunted house of a pussy of yours. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like a fucking Scooby-Doo episode. I'm down there and it's fucking, ooh, and I pull back and I rip the mask off the snatch and it's Mr. Johnson for the amusement park and it wasn't, wasn't for you damn dead meddling kids. I would have gotten away with it, you know? But it's like, but you go do that. You go do that. Fucking edgy bit on stage or at a corporate right. event. A yeah, corporate event. <laughs> I don't want to hear the comic who talks about haunted house pussy anymore. You guys, the CEO knows what I'm talking about, right? You guys know what's up. Everyone looks at the CEO. CEO like, the CEO's had to pay. The CEO's had to pay for a couple unwanted abortions. He knows what's up. Come he on, knows. you know what I'm talking about. Right next to his wife, yeah. as they're throwing, physically throwing you yeah, off the property. Exactly. You're not available for children's parties right. and corporate events. I also do magic, you guys. I want to do. <laughs> I also do. I'm also a magician. Dude, Have dude, me I, back. I, 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 I want to do this character called the inappropriate fucking magician. Like dude. he always does, like some kind of inappropriate trick. And as they're removing him from the property, he's always yelling over show. I'm available for corporate events. <laughs> as they're physically removing him from the property, I think that's such a funny fucking sketch. <laughs> well, when did you start acting? Because you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work. Yeah, I just. Uh, I think that when yeah. I first saw you on TV on King of Queens. Yeah, I, I did like 15 episodes of King of Queens. Yeah. I, I knew Gary uh, Valentine, who was Kevin's brother, and we yeah. hung out. I mean, we played golf and stuff. I mean, they actually, their parents moved to Florida. I think at the time I had lived in Florida, so we were kind of, we were hanging out down there, and we would just go out and just take over a comedy club and fucking have fun and stuff. We would do each other's acts. <laughs> so we would just, you know, make fun. Of, and, you know, Lenny Sh uh, Schiltz was there one night. And oh, yeah. there's the, more pigs, more shit. Lenny, who's like this fucking legendary fucking nutcase from Comedy Store. But uh, we just, uh, you know, 
so when the opportunity presented itself, and it wasn't until probably like the, the third or fourth year that the show was on, but then I worked on it for like the next three, four years. They brought me on on a recurring, and Rock Rubin, who's a buddy of mine, he also used to do stand-up, became an executive producer for the show. Yeah. And so he created this character called Jimmy and said, hey, and we give me a heads up. He goes, Shuby, uh, we're going to be doing this episode. Are you working this week? Just if you're working, just see if you can get out of it and bring come on. I go, yeah, I would do. Sometimes I could do it and sometimes I couldn't. But 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 they looked out for me and it was great. And, it got, and then they got my insurance and it got me. And I, you know, but he, I also, I think Go, the movie Go was the first thing I did that was like really kind of fucking. That's that. Before I moved out of that, it been somewhere in the what, like mid to late nineties, right? It was ninety nine that it 99. came. Ninety nine hit theaters. I did it in like ninety. I think we did it in ninety eight. And what yeah. was the, what was the character in that? I was the bouncer in the oh, strip club right. that okay. got shot. That's in the right. Arm. And then we had to track down a dude and go shoot him in the arm. But I got to work with J. E. Freeman. I call him Screaming Freeman, who played the Dane in Miller's Crossing. Ah. Like a big. T- he was in Aliens. I mean, he was a real fucking real. Like it was a marine that got into acting, and he was wow. like, he had a big hunk of skin out of his nose, but he had this little piece of thing that would fit and fill it. It would fill it, making it look smooth. Wow, said, wow, that's that's crazy. But he was a great dude, and uh, he it turns out he was he, he was gay, but not that it was important. But uh, but he uh, he actually kind of like took me under his wing. He was playing my dad in the movie, so he kind of helped me out. And he goes, "You smoke?" I said, uh, "Yeah." What do you mean? He goes, "You smoke pot?" I go. Yeah, so we went in trail and we're sitting there smoking a dupe, and he's giving me acting lessons. I said, this is my first movie and stuff. Like, this is your here. first acting gig at all? No, no it was my no, first no, no. movie, my Just first movie, okay, yeah. So, uh, which was different. You know, I wanted to be, and so I said, well, if they're over the shoulder shooting this way, he goes, you want to take your right eye and look into their right eye so you open yourself up to camera. Okay, he goes just he goes just pick one eye. Don't try to do both because if you look, your eyes will flicker back. And he goes, he goes. They gave me all these little subtle things that you can only learn by acting from, from like some guy who's done it, yeah, in, in industry. And he took me and he gave me all these freaking things. And then there was a knock on the door. You guys ready? I was like, oh shit, I'm high. I was like, <laughs> freaked me out. But it was only a pickup shot. They were just I was just gonna see me in the yeah, distance. Oh shit, I'm high. <laughs> so I thought. Uh, but it was great. And so after that, on the set, they became, hey, you guys want some acting lessons? Let's go smoke a joint. <laughs> but Tate Diggs was on it, and the kid named, uh, the, 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 the English kid, and Jimmy Duval, and, and some of these guys. It was a cool, it was a good Doug Lyman, who was a great, who had just done Swingers. And so it was a cool thing. And Doug also put me in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It was a job that worked for a day, but he goes, you're in a scene with Brad and Angela, so if you want it, you can have it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Joseph Middleton was a guy actually cast me in, in go and so and it was uh yeah and then it then it just one thing led to another and I my, I came up with a strategy for my manager me and my manager came up with a strategy it was like we'll just submit ourselves for co-starring stuff so you only had a couple lines so it was really tough to until you got comfortable on the set you go do co-starring co-starring and those were easy jobs to get you could do just and did like seven or eight co-starring things and then I said all right let's go move up to co- guest star but only because you knew I didn't you want could to do, do it. it. Yeah, I knew I could do it. So I just well, good for it. you for not trying to bite off more than you were physically capable of right no, away. No, you. you uh, part of it's like anything. It's like getting comfortable on a set and understanding how it works. Yeah. And so if you could, get, I'm gonna, like I'm a, just an observer, and I would sit there and watch and figure it out, and they go, okay, okay, that's what that means. Because when you say you want me to lean in the frame, you want me to step in the frame. Yeah. You want me to like you know sit into it. Sit yeah. into what? What am I doing? What was your first uh, acting gig? Um. That's a good question. I did a movie when I was living in Florida. I did a movie. 
uh, called Where the Hell is Robin Goodfell? And these guys did this movie, and it actually got my Screen Actors Guild card because they wanted me. These guys like me. They wanted me for this thing, and so they were. Did they see stuff. you at the club or something like that, and thought you were yeah, the perfect yeah. for the we role? Yeah, kind of. We and we've come, we we had mutual friends, and so they become. And so I got into the, the, the union. I made uh, decent money doing it, and it got me my SAG card. That was the big thing. Yeah. Getting your SAG card was the big because once you had your SAG card, it opens card, you up to so much. I was never going to let it go. And then it made then then this and then you know then I had a couple development deals where they were actually developing shows for me because of the Montreal Comedy Festival. But I didn't st- I didn't actually get into it until I came back out to Los Angeles. I had two development deals. I had a I shot a pilot with Bernie Brillstein. Oh wow, which cool. I had to audition for Bernie Brillstein, who was fucking great. I got to meet. Bernie Brillstein. That's crazy. And the, first, and the scene I was doing with a woman named Jane Kaczmarek. What? Jane oh, K- yeah. Man. Yeah, who was a Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. In the middle and, like and she was great. And literally, bro, I auditioned for this. I went to network for this. And then I didn't get it. And they were looking at a couple other people. And then finally, I get this fucking call out of the blue. And I'm in Tampa, Florida, working this fucking comedy club. And I got to jump on a plane. That morning, I got to fly out to Los Angeles. They're going to pick up a rental car. They made all these reservations for me. I was staying at the Summerfield Suites by Roddy Dangerfield <laughs> State. And and literally, like, dropped my bags. I didn't even pack my bag. I drove right to the lot, and there was a parking spot. And it was uh, Jeff Foxworthy's parking spot, but they weren't shooting. So You parked uh, that? So I parked in his spot, and I walked up, and I had a dressing room and stuff. And I'm sitting there doing this thing. Jonathan Prince was the director. And this whole scene with the wife and Jane Kaczmarek is kind of straddling me. And we're supposed to have this making out scene, this necking scene. And, uh, you know, I got and uh, uh, I got my feet up. And then she goes, uh, <laughs> and she goes, and then the goes, yeah, yeah, that works. That works. It's good for you. I go, yeah, it's good for me. Goes, and she goes, are you okay with it? lady, don't worry about me. I'm having a fucking blast. I was in a comedy. I was in a chuckle hut last yeah, night telling dick jokes. <laughs> and now I'm on a goddamn movie set. But I mean, you know, and once that once that happened, and then it was like everything started happening. You started auditioning, started getting stuff. And and, and, and so, but that's a tough nut to crack. You got to be, you know, when, if you can audition good, you can get jobs. I mean, acting is acting is acting. You're going to take two or whatever you fuck it up. But, but man. Uh, get the job is the hard part because you're competing against 800 300 500 actors all reading in they didn't fuck around they read a, they would see everybody yeah you know so I, you, you know i was lucky enough to get in i mean i did enough work over the years i got a pension fund you know i had my insurance over a couple of years last year i got my both my knees done because of the insurance that's awesome i mean it was it's it's amazing so yeah it was a it's been an interesting life do you and, do you like life on the road still I do, I do, I love it. I, you know, the thing is because, uh, yeah, you have really have to learn to be your own best friend. Yeah. In a lot of these cities, you go over to over and over again. You have friends in those cities. Uh, you know, like well, I just did a road trip. My buddy, I, I flew up to Seattle on Friday. He picked me up. We did two two nights, two shows, and one was in uh, in uh, one of the, the things in the, uh, Washington was like this uh, on, a, on a, in a restaurant at the top floor of a hotel, and then the next one was in this place called the Hive, that which in which was in. Um, Shady Point, Idaho, or Sandpoint, Sandpoint, Idaho. And so we did a, and and then literally flew out of Spokane, was home Sunday, and, you know, went out and picked up some stuff. Yeah, I still like it, but we got to do a road trip. So we got to listen to music, yeah. we got to talk shit, crack jokes. That's the style. Like, I love road trips with, like, fucking a car full of comedians busting balls and cracking jokes and making fun of everything. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the fun stuff. But also, yeah. uh, you know, but yeah, I do because like usually you get to figure it out. You know what the deal is. You're gonna go hit and run. The one thing I'm not doing is getting involved in long distance relationships anymore. Like I, you know, like sometimes you meet somebody on, and you, you know, I can't uh, can't do that. I just, I just, I, I think I'm just done for a while. I'm just kind of get 
I was in a relationship for four years and was kind of long distance, and I we just broke up. I mean, you just can't overcome it, you know. Yeah. But then, uh, what are you gonna do? I, I mean, it is what it is. I just, I just, I just, uh, I'm not even. I'm not gonna use a dating app. I'm just gonna just go live my fucking life. I would just be lonely and miserable for a while. <laughs> but I that's think, a good sales pitch. But I think I mean well, no. I just, I'm just. I look. I, I just the whole me too thing. The whole fucking thing is like you know it's not this. Whole, you know, it's like it's like this. Okay, I, I'm not even fucking dealing with. I mean, one of the side things of the Me Too thing, I am saving myself so much money in buying drinks and dinner for fucking women. <laughs> I can't tell you, I'm fucking. I'm gonna buy a fucking brand new fucking Mercedes Benz with the money I'm saving. Gonna get another fifteen thousand dollars. Not to not to mention, uh, you know, the flying across country to see your girl and spending time. And you know, and it's you know, and the problem with being in long distance, you know, like people can be whoever they want while you're there, and then when you're gone, they go back and you yeah, see, you, you realize no you, you got involved. You, know, you weren't even who you. Bring Pretended to be you yeah. fucking twat. Wasn't that what? Isn't that what Facebook is and, and Twitter is? You can always pretend who you're somebody else that you're not, right? Well, you know, I, I just, I just, I just find it so obnoxious and annoying. I don't even. I want, I want to move back the other direction. I'm just gonna, like you said. There's no reason to be on the internet. I mean, you got to do enough to be relevant. But I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Look, you want to talk to me? Fucking pick up the phone and call me. Let's go have fucking dinner. And if you look at your phone one time, <laughs> I'm gonna stab you in the neck with a fucking fork. All right. I, I just look. You know what? You want to. You, 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 you're coming out there. Look at you with all your hashtags. Boy, did you really make a difference. You're so fucking brave. You're so fucking brave. You know, and the problem is, is that it's all fucking, it's all bullshit. I, I mean, I was, uh, I read this, I saw this great quote. Uh, I'm going to pull it up and I'm going to read it because, uh, oh, where, there it is. It's um, Camille Paglia wrote this. She's a, she's a, uh, but it says men have sacrificed and crippled themselves physically and emotionally to feed, house, and protect women and children. And none of their pain or achievement is registered in the modern feminist rhetoric, which portrays men as oppressive and callous exploiters. So go suck a bag of dick, you <laughs> twats. Uh, sorry, this will get some fucking attention. No, but I just, I just, I, but that's fucking true. Never, I read that the other day and went, that is a fucking true statement. You fucking say old white guys. You mean the old white guys who protected you from fucking the Japanese and fucking <laughs> German invasion? Those old white guys? Is that what you're talking about? The fucking old white guy who invented the automobile, the laptop, those fucking <laughs> white guys? Are those the guys you're talking about? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's fucking retarded. You say old white guys. I, I have no, I have zero respect for you. Obviously, you You've never read a fucking history book. You've never read about the Khmer Rouge, or you've never watched cartel videos where they fucking cut the. They, there's a cartel video they cut the fucking head off a police officer, and he's laying there fucking headless, and they're skinning his 14 year old son alive, literally skinning him alive, and they're going to cut the fucking heart out of his chest, which you have to penetrate this fucking sack of fluid to get to the fucking heart. So it's not the first time these fucking scum that that those are the those are the. I mean, this is when you... I mean, build the fucking wall, goddammit. It's fucking insane. That shit's going on 200 miles south of here. Go watch cartel videos. You'll fucking... You will go... You'll get sick. You want to be able to finish it. Yeah, Why are you my watching buddy, cartel I'm not, videos? I'm not going to watch my, my, cartel my, my, my buddy turned me on to him. My buddy turned me on to him. I go, this is this is the funniest fucking story. I go, so cartel videos. He goes, because they, they, they posted him. So he's fucking going through this. And I told him about this video I saw about a woman who shit, her, who shit on the floor in a coffee shop. It was in Canada. She was at Timmy Hortons, and she was trying to get the keys to the restroom. And, and, and the woman got so fucking aggravated trying to get the keys to the restroom. She pulls down her yoga pants, shits on the floor, picks it up, and throws it at the guy, and then wipes her ass twice, 
and then pulls up her Lululemons and storms out of the joint. Now, the first time you see that, I mean, I got look, I've been mad at people. I've never, I'm going to pull down my pants and shit on your floor and throw it at you, man. I've never been. And the way she just fucking turned around, picked it up, and threw it at the dude, I was like, fuck, I got mad respect for you. That's like, <laughs> that's fucking lizard brain shit. I've, that's, that's like fucking Abdul Langata fucking like in the brainstem, you fucking recessed back to fucking caveman shit. And the first time you see it, you go, that's disgusting. But after the 11th time you watch it, you go, this woman could be on to something. She could be the Rosa Parks or what's going to be known as the uh, upcoming uh, bathrooms of the cu- customer service revolution that's about to happen in this fun country. And I told my dude about the video that turned me on the cartel. He goes, oh, I can't watch that. I'll get sick. Meanwhile, I was watching, <laughs> watching, get, watching the 14-year-old. Yeah, watching the kid get fucking skinned alive because his dad was a fucking cop. I mean, these are, I mean that, that's the kind of, like, people don't realize, you don't realize the kind of fucking evil that's out there because you live in the end of a cul-de-sac <laughs> with a bunch of other fucking douchebags who oh, have that PC culture. And can you really call someone fat? Is it? Nice. I don't know. And stop bullying people. If you don't stop bullying people, we're gonna bully you until you stop bullying people. It's like you know, shut the fuck up, you dumb twat. Uh, but I mean, it's like it's like you know, I I, I love it. There's a movie about bullying that uh, they got a it got a it got an NC-17 rating, but they want to make sure the kids. The younger kids could see it, so they bullied the fucking Motion Picture Association <laughs> to get PG? the fucking rating dropped down to a PG-13. I mean, it's like it's funny. It's like you know, they, they, the left talks about anti-bullying, but the minute you step out of fucking order on fucking Twitter yeah, or Facebook come or, after which you are, or Instagram, which are all fucking internet ghettos designed to eradicate original thoughts or <laughs> ideas, yeah, spend your time staring at your fucking Instagram feed, you fucking. Uh, sorry, I get, I get crazy. I didn't. Even, I only had one cup of coffee. You can't. Oh, no, that's that can't be true. I'm a, that, I'm, can't, I, that can't I'm, be I'm true. Think, I'm picturing you as like a whole pot of coffee a day guy. Am I wrong, Jimmy Schubert? I'm a walking pot of coffee. Now, now how much of this that you just did uh, is in the magic show? <laughs> Actually, all of it. I do the angry magic. I do. Pick a card. Remember your fucking Hurry card. Hurry it up, is you so, fucking idiot. You're so tough, you dumb motherfucker. Why'd you think I asked you to pick the card? Angry fucking magic. The magi- like angry I do a, magic, I do a, dude. I want to do a fucking a, a magic. Is this your card with the, with the skinning on it? Is this your kid? Uh, I, you know, like, it's, it's the. Uh, it's the. Uh, it's <laughs> The magician who's going through the middle is in the middle of a divorce. He's gonna he's gonna do magic trick for people. You happy? Look, and now I tore it in half. Half! That's exactly what my wife got. Half of everything I own. I'm out here fucking twisting the balloon animals for fucking twelve year old kids, you know? No, no, it's funny. I, I I actually did want to do a character called Angry Magic about a guy who's <laughs> just magic. having the worst day, but I got to go do magic now. You got to do because you have to be kind of affable when you're doing magic. You have to. No, be... it's it's the gentle art of conjuring. And then Jimmy Schubert took it up. <laughs> All right, assholes, pay attention. People finally the magic castle's like, okay, dude. Well, now we have a curfew because now we have loud magicians. No, but <laughs> neighbors yeah, are but getting. You pissed. know, it's funny, dude. Guys doing a close-up table. He's wearing a fucking speaker here. He's got an earpiece. I'm going. Is that the old right fella? there? Is that the old fella? What's that? Is that the old guy? With is who the, does that? Who? Who's no, there's the, a there's a guy who wears like he. It's a it's a like a, it's like a. Yeah, is like it? Old, I've been well, I, there's an old guy at the Magic Castle. I think that does that, right? Yeah, is that you're and, talking he had, about? and he wears the speaker. Yeah, here, and so it hangs <laughs> he's on right in front of you, and and, he, and, he, and he's got a and he's got a fucking ear thing with the microphone. I'm going, they're right there. It's fucking close. Oh, up, he's man. oh, I see, because t- he's projecting his voice. Yeah, oh, well, he, gotcha. no, he didn't learn how to project his <laughs> so voice. He's so he's, wearing, there, his, yeah. he's wearing his fucking amplifier. I was like. I guess it's better than a strap-on megaphone right over his mouth, right? Well, how about you just project your voice? No. Yeah, but I mean, do you find that that because of your 
you know, time in stand-up and, and everything you put into it, that when you do magic, you might be a little bit more entertaining than, say, somebody who just no, got there's into no, magic. No, there's no question about it. There's no question about it. Although it's different. It's a lot of crowd work. You're doing a lo- mostly crowd work. Yeah. I'm a ranter. You have to keep them in... Yeah, you have to keep them in the thing. You're talking over here. You're bringing this guy in. You're bringing this one in. You're talking to this one. You're talking to this one. You're cracking some jokes in the middle. It's like you know, it's not. It's like you can't just go on a rant. You can't free right. like, yeah. like, like I do. Well, you could free form. I mean, obviously, I could skip across my act and take the best of the best of the best with the with the punchlines. You know what I mean? So, uh, but is yeah, there? But, but with with magic though, going back to what you're talking about though, a lot of that. Is part of the engagement in order to get yeah, your and it's uh, storytelling. You're telling stories. Yeah, it's really it's just it's it's not different than stand up. It, it, it is and it isn't. It's either but it's like a one legged duck. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on below the surface <laughs> to make the top work. You know, it's like that's what magic is. There's a lot going on that people absolutely have no, no idea. idea because they don't know that yeah. you spent the last you know. Three weeks practicing for freaking four hours a day to make it seem smoothless and relentless. Yeah. But it's a lot of it's a lot. There's a lot going on underneath that's just beside being affable. So yes, that part of it easy. That part of doing crowd work. It's great to be here. My name's Jimmy. I am going to be your entertainer for the next couple minutes. So please play along. We'll all get out of here because uh, I'm having a shitty day. <laughs> and you go into be you know then you could do that. First, first, I go. You know, I first off, it started when I was born. I, you know, you could do whatever. It's not, yeah. it's not so much stand up. It's just kind of like, but you got to tell your story. Yeah. And that's what makes you unique. But with magic, where stand up, you go, I'm gonna, and I'll tell you another thing that fucking pisses me off. Well, so in in respects to stand up, are 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 there um, are there guidelines that you have to follow in respects to what you can and cannot talk about, like uh, within magic? You know, with the thing with comedy, it's like you, you're, it's you, it's your voice. You could do yeah, but I don't, I don't talk. About, I look, I don't, I don't do rape jokes. I don't do cancer jokes. I don't do like you know. But I don't, do they have a guideline of like, hey, look? Do they yeah, do they now tell that you're you up at the front? Magic Castle? These are is there any kind well, of no, like... yeah yeah they do have, they, they do have bylaws. I mean you know you know the the thing about magicians that 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 I find that I see on the AMA page, which is the Academy of Magical Arts, which is what it's known for, for to magicians, is uh, is that they don't like some guys are having a tough time because they could get away with stuff that you they could not now get away with. Like you have a woman stick her hand in my pocket, stick my right. hand in my pocket, oh, make sure okay. there's nothing in there. No, seriously, it's not. And try to act like it's not the first dick you've ever touched. You know, but yeah. you can't do stuff like okay. that. It's, it's it, you know, you, you could be, you know, you could be funny in a way. I mean, obviously. Be a but, little but, but bit you can't, blue, But maybe. some of those guys are like, you know, they, it, it's, re- magic is really a social art form. And most of those guys spend eight hours a day by themselves in yeah. the basement practice. Not very social. So when you get there, you got to be able to engage with people and treat people. I always think that people are not like some magicians look at. Here's the way I'll sum it: people look at people as props. They're not props. They're integral parts to your show, and they should be made to feel that way. And you shouldn't make fun of them unless they unless they ask unless they you know they're being uh, unruly and put them in their place. Um, um, uh, Jimmy Dore was telling me the funniest thing about he was at the thing and the guy picks on him and goes, come on up and help me with this trick. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm good. He goes, no, no, come on up, come on up. And so Jimmy was up there and Jimmy fucking cracked the joke and the whole audience fucking laughed. And the guy goes, oh, you must be pretty funny at your day job. He goes, yeah, and apparently I'm pretty funny at your job too. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, but, but Jimmy's yeah. so fucking funny. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so you don't, you know, those guys are good at magic. They're not good at, at performing. 
as much per se. Yeah. And not all of them. There are guys up there that are world class and amazing. And, and but the problem is once you're a member, I mean, you, there's places you can just set up, drop cards, and start performing magic, and people will come up. There's a the Hat and the Hair Pub. There's like five, six showrooms up there. Yeah. That that have regular show schedules, and then there's guys all performing the side at side action, tables. Yeah. And down the stairs, they got two, three rooms you can sign up and perform in those rooms. So it's really, uh, I mean, if you're working on, that's a great place to go. But you're also going to be up there with world class magicians. So what I what I make up in performing chops, I also need to make up with yeah. magic and the magic has to be as good you got to be doing good magic otherwise you're just you know so, but i have a buddy of mine zach waldman who's a great magician but he likes to go up there and do stand-up and do like 20 minutes of stand-up and then go into 10 minutes of magic which is cool interesting oh, that's yeah. cool yeah so you get so when you get the rooms they every every room is obviously timed just like comedy right so you got x yeah, amount of time there's three shows there's three shows and you, you, you do 21 shows up there as a in the close-up room and you're only doing 15 to 18 minutes it's not it's like it's just like a set at the comedy store you know? yeah so you're so when you go in, you go in for how many hours? What do you mean? So you say you do 21 shows in a night? No. Well, no, no, no. Uh, when you're booked at the Magic Castle to do the close-up room, you'll do, uh, there's like a uh, 7.45 and 8.30 and uh, okay. 9.15. Uh, okay. So you're the guy doing those three shows. But you're doing, I would say... Like an eighteen-minute show, just okay, an eighteen-minute show. So you're only doing three. You're a feature. You're doing three eighteen-minute sets, but that's where you want to be. I mean, for me, that would be great. I would love that because then you get to you get to do the shows over and over. And by the time the week finishes, you're just a beast. Yeah, yeah. it's like stand up on the road. Like you do, like you know, you yeah. go and do start out shaky on the first one, do seven shows in a row, and you come back do a fifteen-minute set. You just fucking clobber it. Yeah, yeah. We were because we were, when Rob was here, we were asking about that too. He's like, you know, I'm not there all the time either. That's the thing is, it's not. It's not like at the comedy store where you could be there every week, right? You, it's, it's. There's no, you could be if you're in town, but most of these guys are doing corporate gigs out of town. The guys are that's traveling, where the making the big money. They're traveling there, too, yeah. yeah. Like they go on cruise ships. They get the magicians on cruise ships. I was fascinated that the lecture they had Monday night was how to go from a closet magician to be a stand-up magician, where you're standing up in front of an audience and just doing like doing a, your show, doing, doing your theater show or whatever the deal is. You know, whatever. <clears throat> is that what part it, of your goal? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's part of my goal just just to figure out. Because I have a I have a thing about crossing the streams. I mean, you 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 know my stand up is like I don't. I mean, people don't come to comedy clubs to see magic. But if you did a great freaking comedy show and I got to see that, and then you close with something pretty spectacular, I think they would enjoy that as much. Yeah. And that would like you know. But I I just have to figure out how to do that in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And so that's the that's the challenge I'm having because I am I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm not an angry guy. I'm a passionate guy. And so I'm passionate about things I'm talking about. So I have a lot of, and I'm, you know, it's like, you know, like a kind of modern day Archie Bunker. Another <laughs> thing, you know what I mean? But that kind of, uh, so that you just have to finesse that and figure out where the where the connector is and, and kind of make it seamless. And so it doesn't seem like you're going, okay, and now I want to do magic. Yeah, and well, now, or, yeah, and right. now. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to crowbar it in. You want it to feel like it's. You want part to of feel. The, yeah. You want it to feel smooth. And actually, you can just go look. I'm working on something. I'm trying something. Would out. you guys like to would see? Would you guys a like yeah. to see a little, so, little, little something extra special? And of course, they would go for it. They'd yeah. Go, yeah. What the fuck are we gonna do? Go yeah. home to the babysitter. Yeah. You mean yeah. you're not using the old fake question from the crowd? What's that, sir? <laughs> what I do magic? Of course I do magic. That. Where did this guy's asking? Of course I do magic. Did you just say that's top hat comes out like? Because now. Boom! They fucking drop the lights. <laughs> the music cue goes down. I rip off my thing. David I'm Copperfield wearing a fucking wig blue on. shiny tuxedo. Abracadabra! I want to reach it. You know that fucking that Steve Miller song. Abracadabra comes on, and you start doing the fucking. I you start producing out, fucking parasols and fucking sponge balls and fucking. You know. Have you? It's funny. You asked me that, sir. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
That's great. As uh, everyone's like, I didn't. Did you? Did anyone did, hear him ask? I, I, I don't, didn't hear that. Did, I don't. Do, do, or this is this magic against your will? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Forced magic. Yes. And did, now my pigeons from my childhood. Pigeons. Real, Wait, real, not a pigeons. Doves. Doves. Real, Actually, no. <laughs> real quick, I want to ask if you've seen. The, there's two documentaries about about the the amazing Jonathan. Uh, have you do you follow this guy at all? Have you ever seen him? I love the Magic Johnson. Yeah. I've seen the show. His yeah. show's great. Do you know him? He, yeah, I, I know. I I I've met him. Uh, I, I've talked to him. We have mutual friends. He's a beast. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the funniest. He's There's so funny. a guy who was able to combine both. Yeah, and he, do it seamlessly. But I wasn't uh, really. He wasn't really <laughs> doing magic as much as he was using. But he was hilarious. One of the. I I think the two funniest. Uh, comedy magicians that are working today. Well, well, one's the amazing Jonathan, and the other is Matt King, who does a show in Vegas at one o'clock or three o'clock. How do you like that? Fucking have that schedule. You're in Vegas. You've been in the longest run in Vegas. He does a one o'clock show and a three o'clock. These show. are in afternoons. The, in the afternoon. No, no, these are in the afternoons. And you think it's a kids show, but it's not. It's adult. It's an adult fucking magic. He does it at one and three o'clock in the afternoon, and he's had. Like a ten-year run, and it's fucking amazing. Yeah, but he's uh, doing that because he's not competing against people that just want to go gambling for the rest of the night. He's doing but the he's other perfect. thing is, yeah. But the other thing is great, which is smart, is because yeah, there's so many shows going on in Vegas. What a great way to fucking compete. Yeah, make your shows in the afternoon. Yeah, and and dude, I mean, you sit around by the pool for another day. Yeah, and you're in no, Vegas, and, and, and you get to hang out with fucking Lance Burton and on Penn and Teller, and all your oh, all, all your comedy, all your magic buddies live up there. Yeah, guys you'd known forever. You know, there was a dude. Uh, um, yeah, they're, they're but you know these guys they're like they're old they're like old comedians they yeah. hang out together they crack jokes together they tell road stories about magic and the funny thing is there's a lot of shit, shit with magic where he, he produced a dead bird he produced <laughs> yeah. a bird and it the fucking dead. thing fell to the ground <laughs> and all the children ran out screaming <laughs> I mean you know they tell those stories that but they're just as funny to anybody yeah you know? yeah you yeah, know yeah but uh, yeah like I go up there like every year they do this thing this thing called Magic Live and it's this four day magic convention. And everybody, the copper fields there, they all go. It's like that, you know. So, so I u- usually schedule myself to work the Laugh Factory uh, that week. So that Sunday night or that Sunday, you go register in and, and then go get your hotel. And then I do my shows over there. And I head over there and hang out for like three days and would leave like Thursday morning and go and then head back to LA. But that's like my, because it's the latest stuff, it's the cool stuff. Yeah. You get to see a couple shows. They do seven, like again, it's like a week of seminars and stuff. How to be a better magician. I just, I don't know. I'm a nerd that way. I'm like a magic nerd. No, you've, I mean, you've, that's, it's I, something I mean, you've loved since you were a kid. You're just getting better at it. I mean, yeah, everyone's so, got to be a nerd about something. Yeah, no, you're right, and, and and guys are. You know, some people are like that way with video games and yeah, baseball you know, action cards and, and superhero movies, and so mine just happened to be fucking magic. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just traveling to do shows, and there's this dude at like one of the largest magic collections on the East Coast, and I'm talking about stuff that goes back to the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, and like magic kits from those eras. Wow. And this guy just had this whole room of his fucking house, like the garage they turned into this museum, and it's fucking amazing. I mean, he's got like a check from Charlie McCarthy, a ventriloquist, the guy who used to do the ventriloquism, yeah. like a Houdini, a Houdini signature, Houdini's Ooh. like shackles that he escaped from, like all kinds of like like world class. I find that's that 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 that's what I, I like because it is. It's really like the world's like oldest, one of the oldest art forms in the world. I mean, you you know, there's hieroglyphics of guys doing cups and balls. You ever see that trick? Yeah. That's like you know, thimble rig was the, the 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 three three walnut and shell game. There's got pictures of, from the like uh, the Renaissance period in Europe where guys were doing and performing that. So that's that's how old it is. Yeah. It's how, I mean, so it's it's got a lot of fucking patina and fucking soul cooties on it, and that's what I love about it. And it's and I. Love 
love reading reading the fucking books and finding out like, like you know the different things. I find it diabolical that someone would think about this and present it in a way that allows you to fucking fucking fool people. It's it's <laughs> go, that's fucking amazing that someone would. And sometimes, you know, it's just this guy puts so much work into this one trick or, or a series of tricks, you know, that's just fucking mind-numbing. And then you have to figure out how to fucking execute it and then do it as yourself. You got to really kind of... Make you, it your own? You got to make it your own. Like anything else in life, you got to make it your own. And I think the way to do that is you tell your story and actually do when I Because when I was a kid, it was it's true. I was like, you know, when you were a kid, I mean, magic to me was like everything. You know what I mean? I used to spend hours in libraries reading about it and, and doing it. So it's one of those things that uh, I think uh, to go revisit it and to be able to do it now, I think the, that twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old Jimmy would be very proud of me. Yeah, because I I was able to get past the Magic Castle, which I got to tell you is a big fucking deal. Yeah, you have to go in an audition for four. Uh, they had like fourteen fucking world-class magicians. John Carney, Jonathan Levitt was in there. I was like, holy fuck, he's got, and I have to go in and fucking perform magic for these guys. That's it, just them. Or is there is there an audience? No, it's a close. It's a closed door session, bro. It's a closed door session. It's a new member committee, and I was up there with probably fourteen guys. Uh, Three of them were auditioning for the third time, and so it's like it's no fucking joke. It's like, and I didn't want to be one of those guys. I wanted to be a guy who. So I worked my ass off on. I worked my ass off on my audition and putting it together and and doing it because, and, and and plus it's just a great. Uh, thing just to, 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 like if you had friends coming from out of town, dude. Hey, I'm gonna don't think I'm not gonna hit you up with people. <laughs> it's like you know you just oh you hit me up anytime, bro. I'm, yeah, because I mean you don't gotta twist my arm to go hang out at the Magic Castle. Yeah, I mean just that's... on an off night like a Monday Tuesday, which is my weekends because you you know travel doing stand. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Are you, where, where, when you did uh, since you've done, are you the most well known comedian that's ever tried to cross over into to magic? As far as you know. No, Jonathan. Jonathan. Well, but I mean, he, he, he kind of came up as a as a magician comedian. Yeah, there was a combination. There was a kid named uh, Ka- Kaz. Uh, what's his name? Um, um, he was doing comedy clubs. Uh, Max Maven was doing comedy clubs back in the day. Matt King was doing comedy before clubs. before they yeah, got yeah, into, yeah, into before, magic. Before before yeah, but these guys were all doing comedy clubs. I, I mean, you know, they. I, I would. I mean, I know that a lot of guys used to do magic. I mean, I know. Uh, well, I think Woody Allen, maybe. I, I know Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson has a whole exhibit up there at the Magic Castle. Really? But Carson was a real fucking... Carson was fucking amazing. Carson, well into his later years in his life, he would have magicians come over and, and they'd work on some stuff and some coin slides and stuff. And Carson was all about it. I mean, that's was, that, that was... Uh, that Is that was, where he got the amazing Karnak? Just from, like, watching... Yeah, other... yeah that was something <laughs> left over. But he was really quite good in college. Everybody said he was... He was he, oh, wow. He was known for it. He was always had that cards always, always performing magic um who else uh i'm sure there's a ton of guys i mean my buddy rick bronson is a club owner that oh. used to stand rick bronson used to do yeah. magic oh uh, from house of comedy yeah house yeah. of comedy rick <clears throat> bronson uh, i mean uh uh yeah there's, there's a lot of people do it. i mean because it, it is such a thing that like every kid i think i think maybe uh someone told me joe rogan used to do magic maybe when he was younger well, i had i had a blackstone magic kit yeah everybody you know does I mean? I it could just do depends on what the... some people fuck around with it as a toy and other people actually pursue it and take it to the next level and even if you don't i, I just think it's a, a great skill to have i mean i never stopped doing magic i was always able to do it right good social stuff well thanks dude hey well you guys are asking a lot of questions you got no, a subpoena no. what's going no, on no 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 <laughs> just curious just curious it's a fascinating uh 
you know, comedy into magic and I mean, yeah, I know it was just Kinnison you know, and, and acting and stuff. And so, King like, I have the ideal life, and so, and so I, I mean, you know, I was able to, to to obviously make a living doing some acting stuff. And I mean, I had about like ten years where it was like fifty fifty, where you were doing half acting, half stand up, and stuff. And then you know, I got right. into the magic, and so yeah, I mean. I'm just kind of the ideal life. I mean, other than having a wife and a couple of kids, I, which I was, which, uh, you know, I was just like, I'm like the Cincinnati Bengals. It's never going to happen for me. <laughs> it's just never going to happen for I'll, me. I'm going to do a couple quick lightning round things here okay, for you. Uh, favorite moment since you left home uh, coming back to your family? Something something that you felt like my family was proud of me for what I did? Uh, I got to perform in Ireland. I got booked over to a, a, a comedy festival in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I told my family, it was like, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Oh, wow. And so my, mom, my, my aunt, my uncle came. Uh, and my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, they flew into Shannon. They were going to make a trip out of it and then drive across Ireland and meet us in Dublin, which is where the... the so they got there a week before I got there. I got there a little early, and I did a couple shows there. And then my brother, Bob and Joe, came in with my Uncle Joe, and two buddies I grew up with in Philly came out. And so we had, like, there were six of us, and we were oh, man. renting rooms. I had the most amazing... I got to play golf with my brothers in Ireland. My old man got to see me perform in Ireland at the at the Olympia Theater on Dane Street in downtown Dublin. I got to hang out and do some other shows that my uncle saw and stuff. And he was all... And just... Uh, and and then one of my favorite trips uh, was because my family was there, and, and I got to play golf with my brothers. And it was like... And it was really, like, a magical trip. I was there for nine days. I couldn't get enough. I And plus, I'm doing a theater show there, and, and you were hanging out with people from Ireland. Um... And it's crazy. That was that was one of my f- favorite favorite things. But my parents have also come up to Montreal when I was invited up to the Montreal Comedy Festival. My family supports me. They come out all the time. So yeah, it's it's nice. it, that that's kind of that's kind of cool. And and I also you know my nephew was in a soccer league and they had to raise a bunch of money. So we put together a big comedy show back in in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and raised like like 30 grand so oh, the, all man. the kids could go to Germany and play soccer and stuff so all, all that stuff uh, some of my favorite stuff to do are the military tours I love doing the military tours you can go, I've been to Afghanistan with Drew Carey and Steve Byrne and Pedro Hernandez and stuff we did like a like a very ambitious 11 day kind of tour in these forward operating bases and doing shows and stuff like that stuff like that I love doing also the, the, the like if you can use your services to help people do functions where raise money or whether it's autism or whatever it is that's a kind of a thing that's kind of near and dear to my heart and uh any way you can help people you know raise money for various charities yeah i like doing that kind of stuff that's awesome favorite uh favorite place in the united states that you got to perform that, that you were like you know what i like going here it's one of my favorite places to be that's not where i've lived or i would have to there. i would say chicago i just love that, yeah. city. I love that city i love that city it's a great food town and you know great sports town great music town they got uh, portillo's beef sandwiches oh portillo's uh, beef sandwiches fuck bro. yeah so i mean it's just uh it's just uh it's just my favorite city in the United States. I'm sorry, Philadelphia. But that's <laughs> just the way it is. Don't be. No, no, Don't no. I did sorry. clarify a place that you did not live, so you're you're safe. You're safe. In yeah. That okay. Answer. Yeah. You did, did clarify. And and it was the audience is great. It's just so much fun. Man, it's such a great city, and everybody from that. The, the thing that makes that town so special are the people. They're so it's like New York with Midwest sensibilities, and the clubs are great, and there's so much to do there. And you, yeah, you know, so it's just, it's just a cool city, man. I love it. Not in the winter time though. No, <laughs> fuck the winter. Favorite acting gig you ever had? Mm. Where you were like, this is pretty sweet. I'm- I got to work with James Kahn. Oh, in a show called uh, it's called uh, Almost in the Game, or was that it was uh, Back in the Game. Was he was playing a retired uh, 
Major League Baseball player who is now coaching his grandkid. Oh. And so I got to hang out with him on the golf course and fuck around and, and crack dirty jokes back and forth all day long. Sonny. And, and fucking act with Sonny Corleone. Yeah. And the guy from uh, Thief. And dude, rollerball. And dude, one of one of my favorite and, James Conrolls is Bottle Rocket. And Bottle Rocket. Dude, he's so I mean, funny yeah, in Bottle Rocket. Dude, uh, not to mention, uh, there was another movie he did with him. Um, I was one of his earlier ones, but I just that was that was just cool. Yeah, that was cool. It's 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 all cool. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing bad about it. I mean, he, you know, I, I just I, you get to. You know, acting itself can be a little tedious, but but, yeah, but getting to hang out with like guys like that and getting to meet people like that and, and getting to do you know I got, I got to do Mark Marin's show. Me and Mark were doormen at the comedy store, and I got to do a scene with Mark on, on his show. Like we were fuck, we go all the way back. I mean, yeah. I, had to, I had to fucking grab Mark and fucking baby shake him because he got too fucking hopped up. On the I, I was gonna say, I'm sure there was a time when I, you probably had to bitch slap him or punch him directly. No, no, into but he just thought the whole world was out to get him. I go, Mark, it's not, man. Get your shit together. We talked about it on this podcast, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Mark Maron. I'm so glad. I love like, that I'm not, podcast, I'm not yeah. like one of those guys. Like I, I just, I, I love that he, that he's having success now and yeah. that he's fucking happy. And I, I, I root for my friends, man. I think their wins are my wins. I mean, you know, look, not everybody's going to get to the fucking grab the brass fucking ring. Not everybody's yeah. going to be, be able to do it. This is a fucking tough way to make a living. It's really tough. So I don't fucking, I don't. I, I actually hope. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I don't. I'm not jealous. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry about any of that. That uh, about any. I still love making people fucking laugh. I yeah. still love doing. It. I still love being able to do, get to do all the things you that you, you want to do. Well, <laughs> yeah, know, it's act always a- and fucking magic and act, and be able to make a living doing that. Fuck, I mean, there's nothing better. I mean, that you are a success. Yeah, yeah. you are a success. You that's what you can. Yeah. In this day and age, you're a fucking success if you can do that. I mean, you, not everybody can be fucking uh, that famous. And yeah, I Chris tell Rock you, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. but. It, but it also comes with a bunch of other burdens that you have to bear. You yeah. know, I, I saw his kids and people would come up and yell at him, do that signal. Uh, uh, oh yeah, like right he in must, his face he while he was fucking eating. Yeah, he I must mean, have like, had to you know, like that all the time. So it's like you know. But okay, now what's the next question? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it really is about you know embracing and 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 realizing in the moment that it, it's good that you are doing things that you wanted to accomplish. So my next question would be was. A moment when you were on stage where just for that one second you were like, yeah, okay, this is fucking, this is, the, I, I, I'm peaking right now and I, I'm realizing my moment and I'm really enjoying what I've, all my choices I've made. Uh, to get here, like you, you're, you know, did you ever get a rush through your body in a moment? Yeah, I all did. of a sudden I, you caught a moment, and you're like, "This is a moment." Well, yeah, I, I had a, like a, I was doing the, the federal bar for TK. Yeah, and, and look I, at I that. was headlining, but I, I, had, I just had this like I was I had all these ideas in my head about this that and I just went up there and like had a had a jazz set. I was kind of I was jumping from bit to bit and fucking around and just kind of goofing off and and but but also you know just I, I just like that you've gotten good enough at it now. It's like you know. It, it, I, I feel that way every night. I feel that way every night. Like when you're sitting on stage and you're doing it, and you go, fucking get paid to do this. And fucking people are laughing and it's fucking great. I, I do that. I feel that every fucking night. I feel incredibly blessed in my life to be able to make people laugh, number one, which is fucking much needed in today's society. Oh, and yeah. to do it at a high level and, 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 and to be really good at it, I. I thank God every day. I thank God every day that I'm able to do this. I really do. I am tremendously blessed, and and I and I and I think that a lot of people because and we were talking about this with social media is like you see, uh, 
everybody, you know, people are getting breaks and, and this, that, and the other thing. People are blowing up and stuff, and it's, uh, that's in your face. But I'm fucking, I'm happy for those people. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I know how tough this fucking job is. It's incredibly difficult. So bravo for you. Bravo for you. Yeah. And, and that's it. I don't, I don't have that in my body. I'm not envious. I'm not jealous. I'm not even a jealous fucking boyfriend. I don't have those... And those things you 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 hang. Some people do, and then they'll rot like a piece of. Fruit That's the thing. It'll kill. It'll kill and you. I from think the that inside. is really like why I'm so fucking happy is because I do. I live and let live. I, I you know, I'm in. A, I, I do the things I want to do. I get good at them, and and then um, hopefully I'll be able to figure it out. But I, I think. You know, I, I think a lot of us are so preoccupied with social media these days that you don't have a minute to just be present in your own life and just sit there and, and look somebody in the eye and f- make sure that, 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 that they're doing okay. Are you all right? I mean, you know, because, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 strange times. I think that may be the next revolution. I think most people are going to start walking away from it like that, like they're walking away from the Democratic Party. <laughs> they start just walking the fuck away from it the, because they're fucking, they're nutbags. I mean, I, dude, if that's what the new Democratic Party is, I mean, John F. Kennedy would be considered a Republican by today's standards. It's fucking crazy. They get these lunatics. That AOC is a fucking nutcase. <laughs> Every time she opens Now that's in. not Are you sure that's not Because you're from Philly And she's from New York There's a little bit of No no Because she's a fucking retard She doesn't know What she's talking about she li- I'm sorry Mentally encumbered <laughs> Mentally encumbered No she's just I, I mean but this This is like 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 I, I go I, I mean Like You know what I can't stand I can't stand That they think Everybody else is fucking That we're that dumb Really Jussie Smollett You really I mean it's 16 fucking Federal Fucking <laughs> Counts it's a, it's, a, it's a federal indictment of 16 counts. It's, it's like, you know, the, the thing, they went after those 16-year-old fucking high school kids and have created this whole false narrative that these kids were fucking scumbags and we yeah. had to box them and torture their fucking parents. I go, what kind of fucking animals are you? They're kids. They're fucking 13. What, what the fuck were you doing when you were 13 to 14? Right. And they didn't even do anything. Yeah. But then the, the, the Professor Beasley coming out and accused, he raped me when I was in high school. I don't remember of it. But he was like, oh, you think we're that fucking dumb? I mean, I, look, I'm not even a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, a libertarian, but I, I, I look at this stuff going, that's, that's, we're being run by fucking children. It's fucking a joke. I mean, not that it's much bother on the other side yeah. either. I'm not, I'm not saying they're all fucking assholes. Bo- bo- both they're, sides they're, are eating themselves, essentially. Yeah, but I mean, look at Biden. You know, he was the king. He's got a shot. What do they do? And fucking cutting him off at the knee now. And they can't help it. I mean, it's like you people don't even can't even get out of your own fucking way. Yeah. You want to turn us into a socialist country? Like, like no, it's America. We're a capitalist country. You fuck. Build a wall. Start <laughs> fucking throwing people out. Let's go. Get it done. It's a reverse wall. Reverse wall. Throw them over yeah. so they can't get back. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. No, no, okay. yeah. Right. No, I'm, I'm just catapult. I'm, I'm just being. I'm just going off. No, the I build a catapult. Uh, so last question. Yeah, thank God. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. But I mean, that last question is your most favorite magic trick. Ooh, not necessarily one that he's performed, but one that he's seen. Or no, no. It could, you know, one of both. Obviously, you were inspired as a youth, but is there is there a magic trick that you just it's pure to you? You love it, or one that you've been working on, that you're trying to master? Like, is there something to you that you're fascinated with this trick? I do a really good. Uh, a chop cup routine is, is what I would have been known, but it's, you borrow a dollar bill, you roll up a ball, explain how the game works. But before we start the game, I want to make sure, because this dollar bill is going to go on an incredible journey, I want to make sure it's your dollar bill. I'd have you sign it, but that's against the law because you deface federal currencies. But we don't have to worry about that because on a dollar bill, there's a serial number which makes it unique. And, there are, and the, the, federal, the, the Federal Reserve Bank's already taken care of it, so I don't know if you know this, there's 11 
branch of the Federal Reserve Bank, and all of them have a coinciding letter with it, like A branch, B branch, C branch, D branch. So this is a D branch bill with eight sequential numbers. And so I want you to write that number down. I take the ball, I put it under the cup. You're going to have to guess whether it's in the cup or in my pocket. Wherever they guess, it's in the opposite place. It's just in the opposite place. It's, it's in my pocket, it's in my thing. And you see it. It's in my pocket, it's in my pocket. Yeah, it's in your pocket. No, it's under the cup. It's in my pocket. No, it's under my. It's in my pocket. And they can't figure it the fuck out. And I go, some people think I use more than one ball. And then you pick up the cup, and there's a giant wad of $1 bills. <laughs> and you go, yeah, see, that's why you would never would have gambled. You play this game, you, I would just be adding your money to it. And I pick up the cup again, and there's a lemon in it. And now there's a lemon in it. Oh, well, I, make the, I make the dollar bill disappear at, at, at one point towards the end of the trick. And I go, no, there's a lemon in it. But if you cut this lemon open, and they cut the lemon open, and inside the dollar bill, there's a dollar bill with the exact matching serial number. Goddamn. Yeah. And how long did you work on that? I'm still working on it. But it's great. It's done now. I mean, I, I got it now. I'm just waiting. I just got to get it so it's performed. So it's so smooth, can, yeah. So it's smooth, yeah. But it's a monster. Wow. I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I'm, like John, you know, it's like you, you go through that phase in your life where like, oh, magicians, ha-ha. And then you go, and you're like, <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Well, you know why? And you get hooked, and you're yeah. like, because you're the thing is, you know, it's you know something's <laughs> going on there, but you're just like, holy shit! How the fuck did you do that? Because it, it because it instills this childlike sense yeah. of wonder yeah. in everybody, it's, and that you wonder what the is fuck. the fucking yeah. magic of magic. And magic, the trick is the trick, but the magic is how you make people feel while you're performing the fucking trick. And you're able to fucking instill that sense of wonder because everybody wants to believe that there is magic, that you have a superhero, that you could fly, that you could do that. And all that stuff is, is left over. That's residual stuff that's left over from when you were a fucking kid. They got you through fucking childhood. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the coolest thing about it. And being able to do that in a, in a funny, entertaining way and, and have fun with people. I mean, really, that's that's what it's at. Because like you said, I mean, that's it. Everybody gets like, oh my God! They get fucking giddy. And to be able to create that for people, that's, I mean, that's that's really the gift. Yeah. That's the gift. I mean, you know, that's the gift in comedy. That's the gift in magic. It's just a gift. And, and like life itself is a fucking gift. And we'll be right back after these commercial <laughs> messages. No, but that is that is a that is true, and that is a that is a great place to wrap it up. Yeah, that's, dude. Thank you so much for coming in. Hey, really thanks good. for having yeah. me. It was really a lot of fun, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. This was really one of those uh I feel like I just did CBS at like like 2020. I feel like I just did one of those revealing interviews. Well, now we're going to bring in your family. If we could open that door over there. Yeah, gotta... Jimmy Schubert, this is your life. Here's the dove you had when you were a kid. And, and he's still dove. green. And the dove still flies in. <laughs> just a little bit of green. It has, he hasn't grown it yet. Just a it's little a gray, bit of green. It's a grayish green. Yeah. And Jimmy, here's the rabbit coming out. Here's Peanut that got hit by a car when you were a kid. Here's your... And here's your third grade Spanish teacher who gave you a fucking hand job with no eye contact and it fucking failed you and made you go to summer school. Jimmy Schubert, this is your life. <laughs> Guys, you can see Jimmy uh, all over the country. Comedy Store, Improv when he's in town, and now Magic Castle. And buy the comedy special, which is? Yeah, it's at jimmyschubert.com. You can go there. It'll take you right to the Vimeo account. You can rent it. You can buy it. It's a really great special. I'm really proud of it. I worked my ass off on it. I produced it myself top to bottom. So if you want to have a great night where you're laughing out loud on the couch, and I mean laughing out loud on the fucking couch, your your expectations will be met. You'll have a great time. So go get my special. Thank yeah, you Yeah, dude, get his special. Jimmy, you are one of my favorite comics to watch. Uh, oh, whenever you, I whenever I can see you, I, I laugh my ass off. I got a couple of friends who you're their favorite comic, and they're like, oh, you know Jimmy Schubert. They, they fucking love you. So, awesome, man. Thank you. That's nice uh, to hear. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great week. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe 